Hey everybody and welcome back to Motorcycles and Podcakes, the official podcast of Motorcycles and Pancakes. You can find all things Motorcycles and Pancakes and Podcakes related at Instagram and YouTube. Just go to Motorcycles and Pancakes and just look for us and that's where we are. We're the goofy guys. So today, we've got a pretty rad guest. If you remember going back all the way to uh, Pat Hahn at Team Oregon, he invited me to a advanced braking clinic after our episode. And I went ahead and went there, and I met today's guest there. And it was probably a week later, he reached out to me and said, Hey, dude, I'm like a lawyer. Let's get on there. Okay, so let's go. So today, we got Brooks Cooper with us. Brooks? What's up, brother? Hey, man. Good to have you on, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, dude, getting your email was just awesome. I was yeah. like, hey, I know this guy. And I thought originally when I saw it come through, I was just like, oh, he's just saying hi or whatever, you know? And then I ended up reading. I'm like, no kidding. Yeah, Let's I, do this for sure. Uh, you know, I, I love the motorcycle community. We're a great big family. And I've got a lot of knowledge that a lot of people could use in their daily life. And I sort of feel like I ought to get it out there. What a perfect way to get it out there, too, you know? Sure. Just bring it out to the family out here. Totally. Yeah, man. So you're a lawyer. Yep. You're also an instructor with Team Oregon. Yep. And we're definitely going to go in there. But yep. staying true to the uh, cookie-cutter template here, <laughs> I actually want to go back because the whole purpose of starting this whole thing is I want to talk to interesting people. Mm-hmm. And well, I want... Let's go find some. Yeah. Uh, we can send out maybe... <laughs> But no, for real, I, uh, I just like interesting people. I want to learn things. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be motorcycles, right? Like the motorcycles bring us together, but there's so much more to an individual than just the two wheels, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to really get into that. So maybe if we could just go back to the beginning with little baby Brooks. Sure. You know, like where were you born, raised? Tell us about your childhood, you know? So I am an Okie from Muskogee, if you ever listen to Merle Haggard. Oh, there we go. Yep. Uh, I was uh, I was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and I grew I started growing up there until I was about six. Um, my dad worked his entire career for the Veterans Administration, so he ended up getting posted to uh, right outside of D.C. for a little while, and then he ended up in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where they landed. Uh, my parents, you know, lived the rest of their lives, lived and died in that same house, and that was the house that uh, that we were in from when I was eight or nine, and you know, until I left home to. You know, go to college and all that stuff. Oh, wow. So the flatlands over there. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're over there growing up and stuff, just normal going to school, any, any sports or anything? Did you play anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I ran cross country. Uh, I raced bicycles competitively, which you can tell by my svelte physique today. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, those are the two big things. I was never, I was never a big contact sport guy except for rugby, but we didn't have a rugby team, so I didn't play rugby in high school. Okay. Um, did that later a little bit. Um, yeah. So you say bicycles. That actually struck up a, a big thing because growing up, I, I did a lot of that. My cousin mm -hmm. was big into cycling. Yep. Um, it got me into it. And then my youngest son, who's actually getting married on Saturday, uh, he was pretty good around here. He got, cool. was on a pretty good team and, you know, did a bunch of the cycling stuff. Mm -hmm. Was it the same thing? Was it BMX or? Yeah. No, uh, it was all road uh, racing for me. Oh, um, rad. Yeah, I, you know, I if I ever well, like the first bicycle I had was a, a you know a Schwinn with a banana seat, right? Oh, so yeah. I don't, I never had a BMX bike as a kid. There was never any really place to do that. My parents lived in a, you know, standard Midwest bland suburban cul-de-sac neighborhood, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and then 
once I went to college, I started riding really competitively and uh, working at a bike shop to help put myself through college and, and all that sort of stuff. And the owner of the shop was a he was a retired professional racer. He had raced some in Europe. He never raced any of the big tours. But, um, and so, he, you know, he was a great guy. We'd go out riding. And he'd be like, this is what you're doing wrong. Stop doing that. I was like, am I doing anything right? And he's like, well, you haven't fallen down. You know? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But it was super fun. Right, yeah. I got a bit of a volunteer position, if, if you will, mm-hmm. with uh, Braden's team. And mm-hmm. so I was always at the races helping out, making yep. sure they were getting on the trainers and getting the yep. bikes in time. And, you know, there was a bunch of different age groups. Yep. So I was like, okay, you guys got to start now because you got to get a starting line and this and that, you yep. know. So it was pretty crazy. So racing over there, what uh, what were some of the bigger races? Anything that uh, we would know over here? Oh, God, no, no. It was no. all, you know, club-level stuff in, yeah. in the Midwest. It was almost all criteriums. You know, they were, you know, right. one-day race. There were... There was a stage race in the Chicago area, but the team that I was with, we didn't have the funding. We didn't have the depth of team. We were just a bunch of idiots out on bikes. <laughs> um, so it was, you know, it was riding criteriums and getting way too close together and, you know, bumping elbows and falling down and stuff like that. And Right. Know, and uh, my motto then, which has continued through to this day, is, you know, I'm just here to make sure you don't have to come in last. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the criteriums are the crits, yep. as, as you know, you say. But yep. what uh, I believe the rule is on a criterium, it's a set course with the maximum of eight turns, Yeah, I believe is yep. what it is. Exactly. So if you don't know cycling, the way that that, uh, that works is they will set you off on a race, and they will say, okay, this race is going to go one hour plus four laps. Yep. So I remember uh, <laughs> I tried racing for a little bit. I was – I was like you, man. I was, I was terrible. Oh yeah. At, at best, I was terrible. And I remember we went out to Tigered out here, and I was racing the the Tiger Criterium. Yeah. And I think I was racing like Cat Five or something, right? So if you don't know the cats, Cat One is basically pro. Cat Five is basically yeah. new. So yeah. everything in between. So yeah. Cat Ones are the guys that you're with for the first three seconds of the race, and then they're the ones that have already showered when you get done. Yes, those are exactly those guys. Yeah. And. Uh, I was just cruising around, cruising around, and I, I think I was on lap three or four, maybe five or something. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I am doing so good. I am mid-pack. <laughs> this is amazing. And if I can just stay here, I'm going to be so happy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going around. I'm riding just mid-pack, like I said. I came around. That bell started ringing. The guy came over the microphone and said, the winner of the next lap gets a free case of beer. And I went, why am I by myself all of a sudden? <laughs> I was dropped so fast, and I just could not catch back yeah. up i was just like oh my gosh yeah it's it's awesome i really enjoyed that my kid would win like beer but they'd be like well where's your dad he right. gets it I'm yeah like, he gets yeah. the beer yeah. heck yeah kid thanks yeah it was super fun yeah oh, right on so uh if you're not watching on on here we were got a couple ipas by boneyard they are boneyard so love those guys cheers brother that's right absolutely mm-hmm. starting up a craft brewery legit you know mm-hmm. buying stuff out of the boneyard putting it together that was great oh, so good too Yep. Definitely my jam. So, well, that's pretty cool, the cycling thing. Yeah. And so did you continue that into, like, your adult life until some point yep. you were just like? Um, I rode a little bit in, in law school. I rode for uh, um, a team that was, at the time, branded Safeway Saturn of Beaverton. Um, it was super fun, you know, actually being on a team that had some corporate sponsorship. And it was right. great because I don't have enough talent to ever get corporate sponsorship. So that was like, <laughs> oh. I get to pretend I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was the it was the team stuff where, you know, the beginning of the year in March, you get together for the three or four day team ride. Yeah. 
and go out and put in, you know, 100, 150 miles a day with everybody on the team. We're not really competing. We're just hanging out and, you know, talking and figuring out how the winter went and blah, blah, blah. And then, mm-hmm. you know, go to the races and then, you know, all the fast guys, they take off and then you go sweat for a while and then, you know. <laughs> You get back, they've showered, they're taking naps, and you know, then then you go home. Right, they've yeah. already had their lunch. Right, yeah, yeah, sitting around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but it was fun. No, that's pretty cool. So I, I can actually really, really relate to that. Just being around it so much, growing up and and doing that, as yeah. well as just when my kid was doing it. Totally. You know, it actually got really annoying there for a while because there he got into some pretty fast stuff, and uh, he was racing threes mm-hmm. as a junior, and uh, they would come by so fast that you can't. Yeah, I can never see him. Right. Who was that? So, yeah, his team was actually um, Flat Black Bicycles. Mm-hmm. So, at the time, he was with um, Beaverton Bicycle Club. Yep. And then he went on with uh, a specialized team. And uh, But when he was with the BBC, yes, it has a different meaning. Go away from it. <laughs> but uh, when he was riding for them, he got, like, this fluorescent green seat and brake tubings and stuff. So, yep. you can kind of, like, oh. There he was. <laughs> and then at a preem lap at one race, he won one of those barbells. Oh, you know, God, go bring, bring, yep, things yep. with your thumbs. Yep. So he put that on his bike. Of course he did. Of course. You know, that's what kids do. So then he would go by and bring, bring. And like, oh, there he goes. That's cool. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so <clears throat> before he moved out, yeah. right, you were just back there um, in Oklahoma. Yep. So where does – you said you've been riding for about 30 years. Yeah, motorcycles, yeah. Right. So – trying to put a timeline together in my head. So was that yes. still over in Oklahoma, or did you no. not start riding until you yeah. came out this way? I, yeah, I actually got my first bike uh, when I had started law school. Okay. Um, you know, as, as a kid, I would see motorcycles and stuff, and of course they were cool. All kids think bikes are cool. Mm-hmm. But that was just not part of the social circle of any of the families that my parents hung around with. That wasn't part of the sort of social stuff at the high school I went to. So... You know, I, it took me until I was out of the house and an adult just to connect the dots. Like, I can do that, too. Right. You know, because it was like there was no role model for that. So I'm like, oh, motorcycles are cool. There are people who have motorcycles. They are cool people. Yeah. And then I was in law school, and I was like, I can get a fucking bike. <laughs> um, yeah. And so went out and bought my first bike with, you know, absolutely no training. Um, you know, a friend of mine did the parking lot. I'll teach you how to ride. Oh, yeah, that's uh, pretty common. Exactly. Yeah. And then after about two months... Um, I was just talking to people at a, at a shop and I'm like, I don't, I don't feel safe on the road. And they're like, well, how'd you do in the class? And I'm like, what? Um, oh, yeah. and I took, took the team Oregon basic class in 91. Okay. Yeah. Um, and got that and took that. And then, you know, that opened my eyes to like, oh, wow, this is actually a skill that you can learn. It's not just a thing you do. Right. And so, you know, for forever thereafter, I'm always looking for different training opportunities, you know? Yeah, there's always more to learn. So, yeah, I took that, and then I, you know, been going through the bikes through the years, and had a year and a half, almost two year period, uh, where I didn't have a car at all. I just had a bike, and that was it. Awesome. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way to go. Mm-hmm. So before we get too much into the motorcycles, because I really yeah. want to know what the first bike was, but yeah. I think we need to go back a little bit too. So when you decided, so you graduated high school, and then it was at the time you were like, I want to go to law school. No, I graduated high school, and I wanted to be a professional actor. Okay. Um, and so that's actually my undergraduate degree is in theater. Cool. Um, yeah, and I got a, a backup degree because, you know, I, I was, cr- as I like to say, crazy, not stupid. Sure, um, yeah. In secondary education, and I found out in the beginning of the junior year of that class that I really don't like children. 
So <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I got to be an actor now because I'm not going to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a while. And I had one gig where I actually, I kept track of the money and everything. And if I tracked mileage and, you know, just all the other expenses, like buying myself lunch on the way to rehearsals and things, I actually broke even in one of them. Oh, I'm like, congratulations. Yeah. I'm like, this This is not, okay, we got to look around for something else. Right. Um, and my dad uh, had a JD. Uh, he did not practice as a lawyer. Um, he was admitted to the Oklahoma bar and I think the Iowa bar, because back then that was a super easy one to get into early. So you could become a lawyer sooner than your classmates. Um, but he'd worked for the VA forever. So I knew that having a law degree was, you know, a sort of versatile thing. And I was like, well, you know, I don't want to go get a master's in fine art because I don't, I don't want to take the risk. It's too risky to be a professional actor about whether you're ever going to make any money. And, you know, I like nice stuff. Um, and so I decided law school would be a good next step to go to. Uh, and then I, um, a classmate of mine in undergrad school was really, you know, he, he had showed up knowing I'm going to get an undergrad degree and I'm going to law school. I'm going to be a lawyer. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and there's the law school entrance exam, exam, the LSAT, just like the SATs and the ACTs that the high school kids take, take for college. And he was just killing himself studying the LSAT. And I was like, oh, is it really that hard? And he was like, oh, yeah. And I borrowed one of his study books and I looked at it. And I'm like, well, it doesn't, I mean, no, it's not easy, but sure. Yeah. So I signed up and I took it and uh, went to law school on a scholarship. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So... When you were figuring out what schools, as obviously you had to move over here. Yeah. So I'm assuming there's a school right across the river that maybe you went to, or yeah. what, which one did you uh, go to? Northwestern School of Law of Lewis and Clark College. It's, That's what I call I it Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Yeah. I decided uh, that I wanted to be a tree hugging environmental lawyer. And at the time, they and Case Western Reserve in Illinois and Chicago, I think, uh, were the only places that had any sort of certified program. So I was looking at them. Or Case Western or Rutgers in New Jersey had a dual yeah. JD, PhD. You could do it at the same time. Okay. Oh, it was JD, MBA. Sorry, sorry. Um, and I looked at the three of those, and then uh, I came out here to visit. And literally on the cab ride from the airport to the hotel where I was going to stay for two days because I was going to you know, audit some classes and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I don't know where I'm going to law school, but I know where I'm going when I'm done because this is, um, you know, I'm from Missouri. This is amazing out here. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I went to the law school. I liked it. I liked the professors I talked to and decided, what the heck, I'll go to that school. Oh, man. Yeah. I think I misspoke, too, earlier. I think I said Oklahoma and it was Missouri. Okay. Yeah. It's all good. It's over there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty breathtaking, you know, going from there to here, mm -hmm. you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah my, yeah, yeah. my dad had a story. He knew somebody that was from, like, Midwest somewhere. Yeah. And he would come over here, which is like, <sighs> Oh, yeah. What's going on? Yeah. What are those things with snow on them? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean no offense to folks who like living there, but uh, I've described St. Louis, Missouri as a perfectly fine place to be from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I go yeah. through there from time to time for yep. work, and it's just like, yep, there's the arch. Okay, keep going. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Lewis and Clark yeah. went through there. Yeah. Um, I had a buddy play football there. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, two guys. Well, the law school there. did not have a football team. Right, <laughs> right, to be fair. But uh, I'm assuming it was probably about the same time that you were there. I think uh, I started in 90, finished at the yeah. December of 93, yeah. Yeah, so they were, yeah. I think, 89, 90, 91 yeah. is when they were there. Mm -hmm. So, hey, Scott Brandle, how you doing? Telly, how you doing? <laughs> but, yeah, um, so you went through there, and then that's also the time you started writing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, it, you know, it took me a while to just figure out, like, wait a minute, I can do anything I want, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, yeah, I just, I looked around and I wanted to get a bike. And then the place I was renting, I was renting a condo out in Beaverton, pretty close to the Nike campus, because it was easy to rent sight unseen from the Midwest. And I was just like, I got to have a place to be. So I was like, fine. Hadn't even seen it until I picked up the keys and moved in, whatever. It's a place to live while you're in school. Yeah. Who cares? Um, and I wanted a bike. And then I saw this guy riding into one of the other condos because they all kind of ringed a little meadow, right? So he'd, you know, he'd come riding around to park in front of one of these other condos. And then one day I saw one of my law school classmates, a woman who's still a friend of mine, going into that same condo. And I'm like, Lori, is that your boyfriend? She's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, is that his motorcycle? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I didn't know what it was, but I'm like, oh, that was really cool. Well, it turns out it was a BMW R75 slash 5 toaster tank bike. Oh, it, dude. Yeah. yeah. See, now I know. I mean, at the time, I was like, well, that's cool. And so I met him. And so if we're shouting people out, Jim Doberstein. Yeah. Um, What's up, Jim? Yep, exactly. Uh, when last we had contact, he was a uh, zoologist in Corpus Christi, Texas. Oh, yeah. Okay. Great guy. Uh, and, uh, I said, you know, would you, would you help me find a bike? Could you come with me and look at it and see if I'm getting shined on? And he said, yeah. And so we went and looked at a Yamaha Virago that I really wanted. Cause I was excited about the little pass through where if you get to the high enough, get above mid range on the throttle, it'll attach both carbs to each cylinder. So you kind of double your car. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's engineering. That's cool. And he's like, and he just turns to the guy selling the bike who was relatively skeevy. I mean, he had the title, but he's pretty skeevy, and he could tell I didn't know what I was doing. And Jim's like, so how fast were you going when you ran into the wall? And the guy's like, oh, it rides fine. And Jim's like, no, 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 look at that. Steering head's creased. I'm like, oh, I know that from bicycles. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, and so you asked first bike. I ended up getting a 76 Honda CB350. A little red and white. Love that bike. <laughs> the red and white, man. Yeah, I love that I love, stuff. Yes. Yeah? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was your learning bike? Yep. Yep, yep. How long did you have that bad boy for? Oh, oh, I had that for about eight years, seven years. Yeah. I, I bought a few other bikes in the interim, and I was kind of intent on keeping that one and some of the later ones. And then there was a period of life when I was attempting to obtain domestic tranquility by making concessions. Uh, and so I didn't then have any of those bikes. Okay. And I'm also no longer married. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Eh. Whatever. So someone out there, I hope I hope it's not dead. I hope my little 350's out there still running. Uh, and, you know, I will tell you if you ever have a chance to ride one of those, in a high wind situation on the 205 bridge, oh that is gosh. not the best bike. I can imagine. Yeah. If you I have three imagine. weeks of experience, yeah. yes, that, that will actually cause you to stay in the seat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, those things are pretty rad. I just did a long trip with a guy that rides a 250L. Oh, yeah. And it was just like we were in a high wind situation. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, he's fighting the wind and fighting the wind and fighting the wind. He says he looks back there on me on my Africa twin mm-hmm. with my helmet, just kind of looking around like a right. no big deal. Every now and then put your hands back on the bars. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. Who knows? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, what was bike number two? Uh, a 76 Honda CB750K6, the original Superbike. Yeah, you jumped up a little bit there. Yeah. yeah oh, did. man. Love that bike. Repainted it. Mm-hmm. You know, rebuilt the carbs, did all sorts of great stuff, sold it to a guy, uh, a fellow that I had met in law school. And, you know, the deal was, look, you know, I get first right of refusal. If you ever want to sell it, you got to let me have the first crack. 
uh, and he did. Uh, and the week before, I was going to go pick it up from him. He stuffed it into a Volvo, and so. Oh no. Yeah. Alas. Yeah, yeah. That's that's too bad. My first bike was a Crotch Rocket. Yeah. Yeah, ZX6. I wrecked Ooh. it. Jeez. Wow. I was not a good enough rider to be on that bike no. at all. No. Yeah. You know. Hey, let's let the 18, 19 year old kid go buy a Crotch Rocket. Yeah. yeah. Well, Smart. Hey, if if you've got the money, the shop will hand you know they'll hand gladly. Your, they'll hand your son the keys to a Panigale, whether he's got an endorsement or not. Yeah, they give you, know. you a high five, pat you on yep. the butt when you leave. Free T-shirt. Yeah, let's. That's <laughs> right. Got yep. a little discount on the helmet and everything. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That oh, was yeah. not a good experience at all. So, so then you got done yep. uh, with well going through law school. Yep. Right. Yep. So you get done with that, and then uh, did you stay with the environmental? Uh, it turns out I learned, much like I learned that teaching requires you to like children, um, <laughs> environmental law on the side of the environment rather than on the side of corporate America where you can right. make huge amounts of money. Of course, yeah. You don't get paid on the environmental side. I mean, you get paid, but you don't get paid with a capital P. And it is some of the most deathly boring work uh, that I can ever imagine doing. I spent an entire summer as a law clerk reading Clean Water Act wastewater discharge permit applications and writing objections to them that we all knew no one was ever going to read. Oh, and That's fine. what I did for eight hours a day a whole summer. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I'm not making a difference. Nope, not doing this anymore. Right. Yeah. So then what did you change your focus to? So I ended up, my first job was working for a now-retired, absolutely brilliant trial lawyer who tended to represent folks uh, who'd been catastrophically injured by medical mistakes. Okay. Um, and so that introduced me to civil trial work, which is incredibly complicated and super fun, um, and getting to really, you know, help people who are, you know, in a point where we don't have a huge safety net in society and these people's lives have been catastrophically altered because they're never going to be the same, blah, blah, blah. And it was really rewarding. It was, I liked it. I liked it a lot. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Going through and helping out people mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Feel like you're making a difference and, yeah. you know, changing lives and stuff. That's... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you been doing that now? Uh, so I did that for about three and a half years. Okay. Um, you, you know, you, you generally we know this in society. Most folks uh, who hire a lawyer because they've had a personal injury for that or a motor vehicle collision or an injury at work or, you know, get hurt by a defective product, whatever it is, they tend to hire the lawyer on a percentage basis because, you know, you can't normally afford the hourly rate uh, and and the hours that the time takes. But what that means is the lawyer has to be incredibly careful in selecting their cases if they want their practice to continue. And they have to have a very, very high risk tolerance because, you know, for every case that you investigate and say, I think this is a good case, you can get 150 or 200 hours in and find out that has flaws where you probably are not going to be able to recover enough for the client, if you recover at all, to even make back the hourly rate you would have made just charging people by the hour to do their divorce and write their will. Oh, yeah. Um, And frequently, in those cases, you have to spend a huge amount of money on out-of-pocket costs of the case, investigative services, and accident reconstruction, or whatever it is, and the client doesn't have that money, so the lawyer has to spend that money and only get paid back if they prevail in the case. Right. And I just decided that was that was more financial risk than I was willing to take. Okay. You know, I'm not a gambler, right? And so the, you know, if you select your cases well and you're really good at what you do and you work really hard, you can make a really good living at that. But there's a lot of just happenstance and luck there. And I don't like leaving that sort of stuff to happenstance in my own life. So I didn't do that. Okay. Yeah. 
So then you probably took another off ramp. Exactly this right. Way. Yeah. yeah. So now I do. Um, it will sound boring. It's not um, probate and fiduciary duty litigation, and the cocktail party description is, you know. Your cousin who's got a drug problem sneaks into grandma's hospital. Suddenly she has a new will leaving everything to him. Or, you know, Uncle Joe is the trustee of the family trust and all his kids get to go to college, but there's no money for anyone else's. Or, you know, since Aunt Jane died, you know, Uncle Larry's living alone and the neighbors next door suddenly have this brand new half million dollar RV and he seems to be eating cat food. You know, and although and every family has that story. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I, I gravitated toward this because, number one, you don't bring the case unless you're fighting over enough to make it economically viable for people. You know, you're not going to spend 10 to try to recover five, right? Right. Even if you're willing, I'm not going to take your case to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because there's no sort of third-party actor like an insurance company who's just doing dollars and cents, like I'm here to make a profit, I don't care who got hurt, hurt I don't care what's going on, this is all um, folks dealing with family and grief and family dynamics and all that stuff. So despite everyone's best efforts to try to reach an amicable solution that all the clients should want, the percentage of those cases that go to trial tends to be much higher than almost any other area of the law. So you get to try cases more often. Oh, okay. Which, yeah, from, from a lawyer's point of view, the civil jury trial or even the civil trial to a judge is kind of a vanishing art. Um, it's, it happens far, far less likely every single year. Every year they, they become fewer and fewer for a variety of structural reasons. Um, and that's where I enjoy what we do the most is in the courtroom. And so, you know, I looked around and I found an area where the likelihood of being in a courtroom is higher than it is in most other areas. And so that's what I want to do. I still get to help people. That's right. Yeah. You have a skill set. You want to use it. That's right. Yeah, Absolutely. That's kind of, I didn't know that uh, that was kind of a dying art going up yep. in front of the judge. Yeah. Um, my mom was a victim advocate for Clackamas County. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she would go to, mm-hmm. I got court today or whatever. Yeah. But it's kind of, I had to go to a traffic court. Or mm-hmm. so, I don't remember what it was, but she's like, oh, that judge. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. okay. No, I, I tried a case in, uh, in second quarter of 2020. Uh, the other lawyer impressed me as, you know, I, I assumed this person had lots and lots of courtroom experience because the way she prepared, all the moves that she made, it was like, you, you know how to play this game. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and we tried the case, and, uh, and it was, she was very impressive. You know, and, you know, we're, we're colleagues, right? You know, the clients have their fight, and this is their one fight. But for us, this is a case among many. Right. So we got done and, you know, debriefed our clients, and they went away. And I was like, hey, that, you know, the, that was really impressive. Good job. Let's, let's get a cup of coffee and share our trial experience. And she's like, that's the first case I've ever tried. I'm like, you've been a lawyer oh, for 15 okay. years. Yeah. You've been a lawyer for 15 years. It's the first case you ever tried. Well, number one, you're good at it, so good for you. But you've been doing this 15 years, and every single case has settled. Yes. Wow. Wow is right. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't know that. I always had this perception. I guess it's Hollywood. Yep, it is. You know, that yep. lawyers don't like each other, you know. It, no. That, that, that is true in a lot of the much larger jurisdictions, like in California or New York. Yeah. There are so, this population is so much larger. Yeah. There are so many more people. Therefore, there's so many more lawyers that you're unlikely to ever run into this particular lawyer again in your practice. So you have no reputational capital reason to be nice. That makes right. sense. Yeah. Exactly. Here, I mean, I, 
there there is a very small many small number of people who do what I do as a large part of their practice as occasional as opposed to a one off. Uh-huh. And when somebody new starts working in our area, we all we're like, oh hey, did you hear that that new person at that new firm is starting to want to do our stuff? Um, and you know, we all already know who they are. You know, and and in in Oregon, I like that because what that means is. You know, if I just go out of my way to be a, you know, a craphead to you just because I'm having a bad day and I want to take it out on you, that's going to get back to everybody else and they're going to be like, oh, that guy's just a schmuck. Yeah. So everything will be harder for me because people know that I'm not a guy that's easy to get along with, which makes it harder for me to get a good result for my clients. So number one, I like people. I like to get along with people. And number two, even if I, I mean, you know, there's professionally, there's folks that I don't want to go have coffee with. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to know your life story or anything like that, but I'm always going to be courteous and professional and kind and, and appropriate with you because it helps me to help my client. And how many times just being courteous and being an adult really is what it comes down to, you know, like that will help your practice. That'll help the clients, your reputation and stuff. I did the same. I mean, we're not in the same industry, but it's the same Same thing. thing. Yeah. And just be calm and courtesy. You know, as a truck driver, there's been times where I'm in just after another driver Mm -hmm. is not getting a door and blows up on people. And I'm like, Hey, um, I'm like two hours early. Right. I go sit in my truck. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, I'll back up the door or whatever. Yeah. It's just, just common courtesy. Just be nice. No, I, I've got a trial coming up in December that I think that case probably is going to go to trial. Um, and the lawyer representing my main opponent, there are two opponents, whatever, it doesn't matter, um, is somebody that I've known forever. I know him. I trust him. You know, we've had, we've worked together. He's got a reputation of being a man of his word. And so I had to find out some things about what his client will say on the witness stand about these questions that matter in the case. Yeah. Well, the hard way to do that is to formally notice up a witness interview with this person where I hire a court reporter with a typewriter to come in and but minimum cost to the client for the out-of-pocket and everything, two or 3000 bucks. Okay. Uh, or I can just say, look, lawyer, I'm not going to name names. No, yeah, yeah, don't. I want to write you a letter and give you the questions that I need to know the answer to and the answer I think your client's going to give. And if, the, if you call me up or send me an email and say, yes, those are the answers, done deal. Now... I can't use that in court if she if she changes her mind or if he lies to me. I can't pull the letter out and go, no, wait a minute, lady. That's not how it works. Right. I can pull out her transcript of her deposition. But by doing that, and I know this guy, he's not going to do that. So by doing that, I've saved each of these clients two to $3,000, which wouldn't have moved the ball down the field. right? And I can yeah. do that because we have a relationship. So in other words, you're just going against what everybody thinks uh-huh. about lawyers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, but I mean, keep in mind, if we're going to talk about lawyers for a minute, there's all sorts of ways to design a society, right? Yeah. You know, you can have the Council of Tribal Elders, who is the final word on, you know, your dispute and mine, yeah. you know, whose dog ruined the yard, whatever it is, right? Right. Or, you know, we can go to the church, we can go to our local, because we're both members of the same church in many communities, and, you know, have the priest figure it out and tell us, well, you know, Brooks, you're wrong, and, you know, Ian, you're right, whatever, right? Well, we decided that we would be a society of laws. Right. Which means in our society, the lawyers have a lot more power than they do in a lot of other societies. Well, and anybody that has power is instantly ripe as a target for ridicule, you know? Of course. We don't make fun of the gas attendants as a, as a profession. We make fun of the presidents and the senators and the lawyers, right? Right. You know, and the people that have power to affect our lives. Yeah. So. And I think most of society, again, going back to Hollywood, we have that 
stigmata of what it is. Well, and then how many of us actually through our lives go through and right need the lawyer exactly and actually sit down with one. Especially what I do. I mean, there's a lot of folk who are going to sit down with you know their neighborhood lawyer, the you know the lawyer that does go to their church or whatever, and right. they're going to have their will written out so the kids are taken care of. Or a lot of folks are going to have to go through a divorce at some point. You know, those things. But you know, folks who do what I do, nine you know more than ninety nine point five percent of the people will never even speak to me, much less actually need to retain me, whether they think they do or not. Right. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a unique side of the law. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah, it's super fun. That's kind of cool. So do you ride to work a lot? Uh, well, I used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I For for a while, I, I was uh, in a firm with five other friends. Um, the office was in Lake Oswego in a, you know, a nice office park and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. and I just, no offense to anybody, I'm not a car guy. Yeah. Um, and so one of my partners would show up normally in his 911. One of them would either drive his you know, Ferrari E-Type or his, uh, or his, his, sorry, Jaguar E-Type or his Ferrari or whatever, you know, like, good for you guys, right? Yeah. You know, I'd either show up in my adventure bike or my 2001 Ford F-150 with a lumber rack. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love and I'd park it, yeah. right beside him and they'd just be like, don't park by my car. <laughs> You're like, why not, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have payments. Yeah. yeah. Um, but since, um, you know, since the pandemic, my, my partner and I, there's now just, it's two of us. Um, who do, you know, we do the same thing. So we're, we're fungible mm-hmm. within the practice. Um, but we just decided we don't, we don't need an office. Um, so we don't have, we have a, a mail drop. So if you mail us a letter, we will get your letter. But that doesn't happen very often today. Yeah. So we each just, you know, we practice out of home offices. We built kind of like your studio here. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't, I don't ride to work. I don't even necessarily put on lace-up shoes to go to work. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, when I work from home and you're talking to me on the phone, yeah. It's 50-50 chance if I'm wearing shorts or underwear. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, three writing career. Yeah. So, we, we got into the law, yeah. and we know where you're at with that. And yep. there's some really, when you when you wrote that email to yep. me, you, you kind of threw out some bullet points as things to talk about. And I was like, yep. yes. Yeah. Let's absolutely. And I got those right over here. But, cool. you know, I think... Um, there's another aspect that we're kind of missing out of this yeah. in your riding areas. So you started riding. Yep. You got in your bikes. Yep. Decided, hey, I need to go take a rider course. Yep. And at what time were you thinking like, hmm, instructors, this is kind of cool. This is embarrassing. Um, Nonsense. Well, I re- despite not wanting to teach high school, yeah, I really like to teach. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to your question, but... Like a lot of professionals, lawyers have to get continuing education credits to keep our license current. Right. Um, and so I'm often a speaker at seminars when the t- seminar touches on the topics that I practice in all the time. And I love it. Okay. Um, one of the things I do for practicing lawyers who just sort of don't focus in my area, but they take these cases every now and then, is everybody that knows of me knows my phone is always open. You can call me and be like, I need 10 minutes to tell you the facts of the case, tell you what I think the analysis is, and see if you have any other thoughts. And my answer is always yes. Right. I love doing that. Excellent. Um, and so I was hardwired to think about being an, an instructor. And, you know, I thought the first time I was too, I was in law school, I had too much going on. Um, but then when I got out of school, I would have friends say, you know, I, I want to go take that class, but, you know, gosh, I just don't want to be like all by myself in the class. And so I just reflexively would be like, well, I'm probably not going to learn a lot, but if you want to take it, I'll be your buddy. I'll go take the BRT with you. So I've taken the BRT nine or 10 times. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. yeah I would, okay. You know, 
friends who were like, well, I want to ride, but you know, I, I'm afraid. And I'm like, I'll be your buddy, right? Yeah. Um, and about the fourth or fifth time, and so this would have been in the early aughts, right? Um, at the end of it, it was a great compliment, and I don't remember your name. I'm sorry. Uh, the instruct- one of the instructors was like, hey, you really ought to think about volunteering to be an instructor. And I thought about it, and for whatever reason, I just decided not to. And that happened a couple more times, and then finally I was like, yeah, I really ought to do this. So I've only been an instructor since, I mean, I, I was certified as an instructor this year, so I'm new Oh, okay. Uh, as, a B, as a team organ instructor, right? Yeah. You know, I started in the instructor training and certification program fourth quarter of last year, which is about how long it normally takes. Okay. Um, and then I became, a, you know, a fully-fledged instructor, an expert who knows everything, right, Yeah, yeah. Uh, in June of this year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. So new-new. Yeah, yeah. Totally yeah. new. Yep. I wasn't sure. I was under the impression it was new-ish. Yep. But I wasn't sure how new. Yeah. Right? So uh, for me, coming to that course, it was, <clears throat> I showed up on an adventure bike. Yep. Right? Brand new tires. Yep. Like, uh, I went from the shop at Apex here in Oregon City to my house, and yep. then from my house to Mount Hood Community yep. College. That was all the riding I had on those tires. And yep. I'm like... I'm taking a breaking course. <laughs> this was is not swerving. the best idea. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But it ended up being fine. Yeah. But showing up there, I was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, am I good enough to be out here with all these guys? You saw, we're friendly. We don't bite. Oh, uh, it was awesome. And then there were some familiar faces in yeah. there. And it was just like, it was like awesome, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, showing up to that was, was definitely cool. But it was also, um, I had that same thing where somebody was like, you need to be an instructor. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have zero time for that. Between work and all the social medias, the YouTube stuff I got going on, I'm just like, maybe down the road. Well, maybe. You know, time commitment is a a reason why a lot of people who could be very good instructors just don't do it. I mean, um, the name now slips my mind since I'm sitting here, but the fellow who was one of the main architects of the Oregon Backcountry Discovery Route, would that be Nathan Fant? Yes, it was Nathan Fant. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, but he actually came out and began the instructor program and got into the point where they talk about, you know, this is sort of the, the yearly time commitment we're asking you to promise you'll make just so that we know we have enough bodies to fill the slots. And that was the point where he, he went to the program director and said, I'm sorry, I can't make that commitment. I'm, right. I'm going to drop out. And t- we totally respect that. You know, he's a busy guy uh, exactly right you know there's some top secret stuff he's doing right now that i was just like of course you are yeah <laughs> you know yeah. of course i know what you're doing right you know so he i'm trying to get him on here and there's some other stuff coming on and i reached out to his wife actually yep. and uh i was like hey i want you guys on she's like uh yeah when things slow down yeah you that'll know. be when we're 80 yeah well i got another project coming up next year cool. um I don't know when this is going to drop, so I can't really say anything until then. But uh, they're going to be a big integral part of some routing issues. Cool. Say that. So it'd be kind of cool. Uh, Will it involve rally books? I wish. Mm. I wish. Okay. No. All right. Not yet, actually. I've been watching some of that stuff, and I'm like, I want to do that right there, you know. Maybe down the future, mm-hmm. you know, down the road. Do something like that. So, so you starting to instruct. Yep. So, what areas are you going to be in? Because that was news to me. I yep. just figured they were like, "Oh, you're going to be at this place. You're yep. going to be at that place." So, the way it works in Team Oregon, once you are certified as an instructor, 
Um, you have what the team considers to be your home ranges, which are the ones within X miles of your home. I think it's like 20 or 25. It's not very far. Okay. Um, so you're sort of automatically expected to be available on the – I'll explain the whole thing yeah. – uh, available for those. But we have teaching ranges all over the state, from Astoria to Klamath Falls to Ontario to Brineville to Baker City to Coos Bay to McMinn. I mean, everywhere, Bend, Redmond, all over. Right. Um, and you can volunteer. You can open yourself up and say, I'm willing to be scheduled in, for example, I have family in Roseburg. So I live in Portland. I'm willing to be scheduled in Roseburg because it's, it's a free weekend with my in-laws whom I love, right? Nice. So, yeah. right. Why? So why not? And besides, I get my, my mother-in-law's cooking, which is awesome, <laughs> right? Awesome, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, you know my, my opens are, you know, the Portland area, of course. We have a course in Tillamook. I'll never get to teach out there because people with more seniority always go to Tillamook because they want the weekend at the beach. Of course. I have family in Bend, so I'm willing to teach in Bend, willing to teach in Roseburg, and then, uh, you know, other stuff as necessary. I've got a good friend in Baker City, so I'm willing to teach out there. But some of the locations, we don't have enough demand to keep a shed with a fleet of bikes out there. So Team Oregon owns a truck and a big trailer, which is sort of, you know, just our mobile shed. Mm-hmm. And you have to have some amount of time with Team Oregon, more than I've got, don't know how much it is, don't care, um, before you can get on the list to drive the truck and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So ultimately, I'll add Baker City because i got a buddy I can go stay with him. Um, I will actually add Ontario because I've got a buddy, a lawyer buddy who lives in Ontario, and I can go stay with him. And if you, if you volunteer for a uh, location that's more than X miles from your home, whatever it is, Team Oregon will reimburse you for the statutory deductible mileage rate um, and will give you a per diem for meals and lodging, depending on distance and things, if you want. But if you really want to teach, if you're in Portland, you want to teach in Roseburg or Bend, the real trick is if you're staying with family anyway, waive the meals and waive the lodging because they don't give you money for the lodging. They get you a room at the Motel 6. You can't game it and get money. Right. You know, and you have to give them receipts for your meals. So you can't even game, oh, I went to Applebee's. Well, give me the receipt. Um, but if you waive those, then it saves the program money because they're only paying me mileage. Yeah. You know, it doesn't cost, I forget what the current reimbursement is or the, the deductible rate, but it costs less than that to operate my bike. So I, you know, in that way, I quote, make money. And then we do get paid for the time we're teaching. It is an hourly paid gig. Okay. We're employees of OSU. Um, and so we're, you know, we're paid through that program. That was something that I just learned with Pat. I didn't realize it was an Oregon State yep. program. Yep. I'm an employee of Oregon State. Yeah. Yep. That was actually, when he and I first started talking about it, he was like, I, he, he needed some information about the podcast. Yeah. And I had to go through Oregon State to get approved to come yep. on here. So. Yeah, to say words, because I'm not speaking for Team Oregon at all, by the way. Right. Yeah. Right. No. We're just, you just happen to be there and we're learning about yep. it. Perfect. I'm a dude. And, you know, if you if you spend the many, many hours it takes to get into the internship level of the program, yeah. which is the last step before you're, you know, you are kicked out of the nest and you have to fly and everything, um, then you get two free t-shirts and a free hat. Not a free hat. Free hat. Holy moly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's neat. Yeah. All right, cool. So out of the Team Oregon stuff, what's your favorite class? 
So when you start, you are able to teach the basic, the basic writer skills course, mm-hmm. the BRT and the IRT, the intermediate, which is pretty much all the exercises from the basic without the very beginning, like this is the clutch, this is the throttle. If you take the intermediate, we expect you to be able to start the bike, get it moving, stop the bike. Yep. Um, and those are the only ones you're certified to teach. And then you go through more training to teach, like the advanced braking class that you and I taught. I'm not certified to teach that. If I want to, I go through that training. And then the precision maneuvering clinic, which you have got to go to. I, yeah, let's get into that here. Yes, you've got to take them both. Yeah. One and two next year. Okay. Um, I, yeah, and then so you have to be certified. And then um, during COVID, of course, all of our classroom was an online program, which you can mm-hmm. still take. Team Oregon is really trying to push people back into the live classroom. I don't know if they, I don't know because I'm not in management whether they will stop the online or whether it'll just be harder to get into. I don't know. Um, but the classroom is another set of training to be able to teach the classroom. And that's that's the sort of teaching I'm super hardwired for. So I'll be taking that the first class next year so that by That's cool. Yeah, by next summer, if I pass that, which I'm comfortable I will, but you know, we'll see. Um then I'll be able to teach your Thursday night classroom class and then meet you on the range Saturday, teach your Saturday afternoon class, meet you on the range Sunday, give you the Sunday knowledge exam and give you the whole experience. So that'll be super fun. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> you just said it, class yeah. one and two. Yeah. Maneuvering classes, right? Yeah. So for people that don't know, that's kind of like what you see the police doing. It's, the slow it's the, with all the cones. Yeah, it's and, the ride like a cop class. Yeah. Yeah, ride like a cop. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yep. So I haven't taken that. Yeah. And uh, Pat said something about it. You're saying mm-hmm. something to it. And once I knew, I didn't know that Team Oregon even did that. Yeah. You know? So I was just like, what? Yeah. I want to do this. Um, yeah, the the precision maneuvering one that I did actually the weekend after the advance or the day after the advance braking. Sorry, yeah, advance braking was a Saturday, and then that was a Sunday, mm-hmm. or maybe yeah, it was a, because then Monday was uh, high speed cornering out at Pat's Acres. It was a we tried to do a three day package as what we call boot camp for instructors. Yeah, because the class you took and these others were only for instructors. I mean, you're right. you, know, you were a guest. You're welcome. I was. I'm, I'm doing air quotes if you're listening to yeah. this. I was media. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah that's what we'll call that, it. That's how I got yeah. into that. Um, but it's just instructors, so it's a super low-stress environment. We're not yeah. there to impress any, every, anybody. You know, you don't have to pass it to get your endorsement because everybody's already got that. Yeah. Uh, and the PMC was absolutely amazing. I mean, you, I think anyone who's been riding five or more years needs to take that class every other year for the next six years. No kidding. Oh, gosh. The, the effect it has had on my just basic road riding, uh-huh. just knowing, and, and just like if you ever ride at high speed on your bike and you get to the limits of the traction of your tire, knowing what the suspension does when I'm at the very limits of the steering lock, knowing what the suspension does, you know, when the bike is in an extreme lean angle at a low speed and just n- having that experience. Right. Well, you say uh, at high speeds, I've never been over 55 before. Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm. You want to... <laughs> That's a great transition to traffic violations. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> well, and I stay into that because <clears throat> we'll get to the traffics, but going slow, yeah, that's one of the things I think most riders don't practice enough. Correct. And that's probably some of the worst skill sets mm-hmm. of people. Yep. Um, I don't consider myself the greatest rider ever. I think I'm better than some and I'm definitely worse than most. Mm-hmm. Right. But I can kind of hold my own. Yeah. And like I told Pat and stuff, we have one of your training courses right here. I know. And, uh, I go up there quite frequently and just practice. 
Absolutely. Right? You see our markings on the on the. I use them all the time. Great, all the time. And one of the things that um, I do like to do is I'll do some of the braking. Yep. And I like where <clears throat> I can practice and see how far I'm mm-hmm. going. Right. Exactly. So I do that. So adventure riding. You know, we're up. We're standing up a lot. Yep. So I try that standing up and i did that at our course yep you know what was her name uh, suzanne i believe yep. yep dude she was rad isn't she great she's awesome yeah so she's standing up and she was like yep, yep. <laughs> like, okay you did that good or try that yeah. you can do more <laughs> i was she she yeah. impressed me she goes now go faster mm-hmm. i was like okay yeah let's do this but i do that up there and then one of the things that i like to do is the full lock as slow as i can mm-hmm. figure eights yeah you know, so I practice those, and that comes in super handy on trails. Yep. To track exactly. You know, just normal gravel roads. Like, uh, I got to turn here. There's a gate or whatever yep. that we're we're coming up to, and I'm really surprised. I'll go out with some amazing riders, and they can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, a lot of people don't you practice can it. Drift the corner at full throttle and mm-hmm. come around, power sliding into a wheelie. But you can't make a slow U-turn. Different skill set. Yeah, it's just one of those things you got to practice, and that's really what intrigues me about that class. Like, I can do a U-turn, or I can do a figure eight, but I want to know how many times I'm gonna tip my bike over during this course. So we in this one, uh, nobody dropped their bikes. Wow. Yeah. Um, There were there were a couple of folks who got close and stopped and put a foot down, but picked it up before the bike touched the ground. but when we were out there, you know, there's precision move, maneuvering one and then precision maneuvering two, which is the advanced course. Okay. And the paint marks for maneuvering two are on the ground as well. And one of the exercises we did, it's a super offset cone weave. So it's, you know, sorry about that. You'll edit that out. Yeah. It's a super offset cone weave. But they have the red thin paint lines on the ground for what you have to do for that cone weave for PMC2. And all of us were agreed that's not possible. Which means there's this whole level of stuff we have to learn that we don't know yet, oh even having gosh. taken that class. Yeah, and you know now being able to just spin the bike in its you know in its wheelbase as long as you want me to fat, go in circles, you want me to go the other way, whatever, whatever. But that, uh, so I I can't. I, I was going to take the PMC two, uh, and then I had a scheduling issue, so I got to wait till next year, and I'll take them as close to back to back as I can because I know there's all this stuff out there that I can't currently envision how to do, so I can't wait to figure it out. Man, I. You're really striking my curiosity right now. Yeah. Like, straight up. Do they do that here? Oh, we do it at Mount Hood, actually, where you took oh, the, yeah. uh, was it Was it Mount Hood? I think it was Mount Hood. Yeah, yeah it was Mount Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm um, so in yeah. on this. One of our instructors did the PMC1, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Patrick Hahn went out and took a bunch of photos during that class. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if they'll be available to the public. We got them as instructors. Um, but one of the uh, one of the other instructors was actually on a Suzuki Intruder, the Suzuki metric cruiser, feet forward and all that. Mm-hmm. He blasted all of it, and I was just like, I don't, I don't even know if I can turn your bike normal. So was that kind of a, a younger kid? No, 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 an older guy. Yeah, okay. Because I know when I was out, met that kid. He was talking about an incident, mm-hmm. and he was kind of just getting his feet wet again, being out there. And I think. I don't know if he laid it down or somebody hit him or something. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was like in the breaking. So he was a little sketched about that. And you can tell. Oh, that the was day. the kid on the the Harley yeah. eighty eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the I don't I don't know Harley models really well anymore. Uh, but yeah. uh, it looked like it was some like sort he, of like a streak light. Not a streak light. Like yeah. A, 
something like that. Something a little bigger than a yeah, sports. His dad's been an instructor forever. That person is a, is a new instructor yeah. and had really gotten shaken by a pretty serious car versus motorcycle collision. And so this was right. this was getting his mojo back. Well, you can tell as that class went on. He was getting it. He was getting a little better. Oh, yeah. A little better. A little better. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Well, we all were, you know. Yeah. We were all watching you, and you were getting better. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying not to crash on the new tires. Yeah. I, <laughs> the first time we went, I totally got confused on the instructions. So did I. And they were like, okay, so when they pass the mm-hmm. the whatever camera, yeah. and I thought, okay, this way, like going straight. Yeah. But no, though. So they took off, and they got like 50 feet in front of me, and I'm like, oh, they passed the camera. Uh, I'm second. Go. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, you got to give them time to get out of your way. Yeah, I was like, oh, no. The yeah. first time we did the swerve and turn maneuver, I had just misheard Susan. So like, I'm riding along, and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, well, dude?" That's she would wait so long to give you the instructions. Like you're coming at her like 45, 50 mm-hmm. miles an hour, and she's just staring at you, right? Staring at and you. Your little lizard brain is going, "Oh God, oh God." Yeah, oh God. I'm kind of like tilting my head, like, "Hello." Yep. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Did you fall asleep? Yeah, and then all of a sudden it was like, "Bam, bam." I was like, "Oh." This is good, which I thought was great because you're... Well, it simulates the emergency. Right. Yeah. She just waited until you had mm-hmm. nothing to do except react. Exactly. And I thought it was great. Exactly. So there's one. There's two. Yep. I definitely want to do it. And I'm going to say it right here. I'm probably going to tip the bike over three times. It's okay. We'll help you pick it up. Oh, Don't yeah. worry about it. I'd... That's one of the instructions in that class is if you drop your bike, wait for help. Do not pick it up. Oh, really? We don't want you to hurt yourself. That's right. Yeah, Even yeah. if you know how. Yeah. Um, just wait. There's a lot of people around. We'll all help you. <laughs> well, there's a video of me trying to lift my bike up out there. <laughs> video. I had this video, and it was just, I had the plan, and I had it all like, okay, this is what it's going to be, right? Yep. And it was one of those super hot days over the summer, so yep. I was like, I'm going to bounce early and be home no later mm-hmm. than noon. Yeah. Right? So I get up there, got all the cameras going. It was literally one of those videos where everything went wrong. Ugh. Everything went wrong. Like, I hit just this little limb, and it flew up, and it hit the spring for my kickstand. So, all of a sudden, my kickstand's... Rah, 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 and I'm like, yep. oh, so I had to go find it, and I had to try to put it on. Didn't have the right tools, mm-hmm. and I tipped over, and yep. I broke stuff, and this happened, and that happened. I lost a camera. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, but no, if, if you don't know it, actually, I, I guess I'm going to talk a little bit about Team Oregon here. But, you know, on the Team Oregon website, we have a video that will show you how to pick a bike up. Yeah, and, you know, I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Right, even a, even a really small stature person can pick up something like a Goldwing if you know how to do it. There's actually stuff on the interwebs right now yeah. of little tiny girls picking up a GS. Mm-hmm. It's like exactly wow. right. Yeah, yeah. Jocelyn Snow, she's five one. She can pick her GS up all day. Right. Yeah. There you go. And then she rides right to Starbucks. Yeah. Well, that's all we ever do on GSs. <laughs> uh, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Sean, where are you at? Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Well, you saw the the GS I rode to the braking clinic. I yeah. had street tires on that. Because I put them on for the PMC. Okay. And I told all my buddies, you know, I think we now actually have to call this my Starship bike because it's a GS with street tires. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So taking that course, you want to do the one. Yeah. Then you want to do two. Yeah. And then I don't go any faster than 55. Okay. So that gets us sent to traffic citations, what to do. It's actually right here. There you go. You know, what what to do when the popo throws on the lights. Great. So it's not the thing that you see going around right now with all the guys on the crock truck. It's oh, riding God. wheelies, flipping off the cops, and taking off at 150 miles an hour. Okay. 
None of them are listening to your podcast. No. No. Golly, folks. You've <clears throat> given us all a bad name. For real. Go. You can take a stunting course. Yeah. You know, who is, I think it's Keith Code has a, teaches a how to wheelie course, right? You can do that. There are places to go do that. The public roads are not places to do stuff like that. No. Um, and I love that you're editing this because we need to take a break because I totally got to pee. Yeah, dude. Yep. We're not going to edit it, but we'll we'll pause. <laughs> well, we're back. Good yeah. pee break. Good times. We watched a little bit of your, uh, <laughs> the advanced moving, what is it called? The PMC? Yeah. The Precision PMC. Maneuvering Clinic 1. 1. We yep. watched a little bit of that from your uh, dash cam. Yep. So I'd actually like to get into that real quick sure. before we really get in yeah. to, to the rest of the stuff, but... You know, I was really surprised you showed me at that you know, advanced yep. braking clinic what you had. So you have a forward and rear facing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Yeah, this is, I've had these on bikes now for going on 10 years. Um, it just seemed like a really good idea to me um, to have a record of everything around me that is not disputable. Right. Yeah. And it's mostly for the person on their cell phone drinking their latte who runs over you. That never happens. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. in my world, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, as a truck driver, I have you understand. Yeah, yeah. the need well, and, for the dash cam for sure. And you know, for mo- for lawyers who represent folks injured in motorcycle collisions, I regularly consult on the liability side of car versus motorcycle collisions to basically say, you know, if you have somebody who's really trying to show that your motorcyclist was at fault in part or in whole, here are the problems you've got. These are the things to think about or focus on, and you know the number of collisions that I've seen where if there had been a dash cam, there wouldn't be a fight. Right. You know, and so it wasn't hugely expensive. The original one I had was by a company called Innov, I-N-N-O-V. They make all sorts of cameras for your helmets and, you know, adventure cams and stuff. And they made one. I had it on, you know, my old BMW Airhead. Uh, I transplanted it to the GS and then it finally died. Um, Just note to the folks at Innov, apparently your devices are not made for the BDR. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and so I replaced it with uh, this one I don't remember the name of. There's now a bazillion makers, but this got good reviews, and it's it's worked great. And like all of them, like the dash cams in your truck, yeah. if the algorithm in the camera thinks you've had a crash, it then will save, in in the case of mine, the last 10 and next 10 minutes of video. Right. So you've always got, you know, 20 minutes of video that will never get overridden by the camera unless you choose to put the card in a computer and, and override it. Yeah. So super useful. Super useful, and uh, a couple of the dash cams that I've had in yeah. the past, one in particular was, I can't remember, something dog, I should yeah. tell you, right yeah. there, right? It's like... Road dog. I think it actually was a road dog. D-A-W-G. Dog. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> it was super sensitive. Mm. So you it know, thought you were crashing all the time. All the time. And if you know anything about Indiana, yep. the roads are horrendous for mm-hmm. Arizona. Yep. So I would fill up, you know... Uh, an SD card, like 256 SD card, like yeah. in a day. And it wouldn't allow me, like I would have to clear it out because right. every time you just hit that bump, it's like, dee, 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 dee. Yeah. Like, oh, you crashed. Yeah, yeah. Here we are again. Yeah. So annoying, but yep. so useful. So I was coming down I 29 mm-hmm. just north of uh, Kansas City. Yeah. Just out of Iowa. Actually, I was just coming into the Kansas City, the greater Kansas City area. So north, uh, it's not too far from the airport there. Yeah. And they had a cloverleaf on-ramp, mm-hmm. and it was the middle of the night, and I was pretty much the only guy out there. Yep. And uh, I caught something out of the corner of my eye of, the, of a car coming on the cloverleaf, but it looked weird to me. So I automatically moved over one lane. 
started jaking it down, slowing down the truck, and I was like, something's not right here. So what ended up happening <laughs> happening is around that clover leaf, the car on the outside had his lights on. Mm-hmm. The car next to him did not. Oh, gosh. So they came on in front of me, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the car without his lights swerved in front of me and did a squat and drop. Oh. Or squat and stop. Yeah, right? exactly. So I know what In front mean. of me, yeah. slams on his brakes. I was already slowing down. Right. Like, oh, I know what's coming, right? So I <clears throat> did that. Came to a complete stop. Like I said, I'm the only one out there. Right. Nobody around there. So we stopped, and I'm like, are they going to back into me? Right. Right? And like, that's kind of what I was thinking. But all of a sudden, they just took off. Because you didn't hit them. Right. Yeah. Like, they just took off, and they were probably quarter mile down the road before the lights came on. Yeah. Well, now you're hypersensitive, right? Yep. Now you're like, where'd they go? Mm-hmm. But obviously nothing, fortunately nothing happened at that point. Yeah. And I actually took that footage and I was like, hey, state policeman. Yeah. Check this out. By the way, here's his license. Here's his license. Yep. That's why I've got mine. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know what happened, if anything. Yeah. But. I know nothing it. happened because you never got a subpoena. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing happened. Yep. Dang it. So, yep. Okay, so where were we before we had to go pee? Traffic we're, stops. We're about right? to talk about traffic stops. Right. Stops. We're talking right. about 100 miles right. an hour in the crotch rockets and flip the cops off. Yeah. Guys, please don't do that. Um, yeah. So, here's just a, a quick little bit of just lawyer talking, and I'll separate this into this is the law versus this is my opinion. Okay. Um, so, anytime somebody in a marked vehicle signals you to pull over, you have to pull over whether you think you violated the law or not, period. Okay. You don't have a choice. So once y- once you should reasonably know that they want you to pull over, like they're behind you with their lights on, if you go 5, 10, 15 seconds without making any move to slow down or pull over or turning your head looking for where to go or anything, you're immediately in the land where they can choose to cite you for eluding the police. And the defense of the defense of I didn't see you mm-hmm. doesn't work. Okay. Okay. Um, number one. There are three flavors of interactions with the criminal justice system that people are going to have. The ones most of us have are violations. Parking ticket, this is not even really criminal. Parking ticket, speeding ticket, you know, driving with malfunctioning equipment, all those expired tags, blah, blah, blah. Any violation, that is not a crime. There's no chance you can go to jail for violating, you know, for driving 62 and a 55. Okay. Okay. Uh, Which also means... They, there is no standard of, of mental awareness of what you're doing. It's what's called a strict liability offense. If the speed limit is 45 and you're going 46, now I'll tell you in a minute why they're not really going to cite you for 46 and 45, you are in fact violating the basic speed law and you can be cited for that. My speedometer isn't that accurate. Not, not a defense. There was so much traffic, I couldn't pay attention to the speedometer. I was going the speed of traffic around me. None of those are def- There is no defense other than you're wrong, I wasn't going that fast. And then it's you versus a cop, okay? Yeah. Um, so no, the cops are not going to cite you for one over. And no, I'm not telling you to go one or two over. But everybody's speedometer has a level of accuracy. Today, it's better because they're getting more and more digital. I'm talking mostly about cars. Um, you know, used to be when you had an analog speedometer, am I going 50 or 51 or 52? I don't know, right? And that's why there's a little bit of a gray zone there. Things get worn out too. Things get worn out. Yep. And most, you know, most motorcycle speedometers come optimistic from the factory. 
because, well, this is now my opinion. The, the prevailing opinion is the factories would prefer to lie to, do, lie to you and tell you you're going faster than you are than to lie to you and tell you you're going slower. Right. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, who knows? Like BMW is famous. They're 10% off. They're always 10% off. Okay. Um, so uh, a violation is a strict liability offense. It doesn't matter why you th- were doing what you're doing or whether you knew you were breaking the law. Right? If you get in your vehicle and it, it has a br- burned out taillight, it doesn't matter that you actually don't know. All you have to be doing is operating the vehicle on a public road within a operative equipment. You have violated that law, period. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Right. You know, and that's the same thing, you know, you go into a wait station, you got some lights out. Yeah, exactly right. For an inspection. Same for you. Yep. Exactly right. Um, and so <clears throat> just practical opinion advice from a lawyer um, being a cop is, I mean, I, I'm very glad there are people who are willing to do it, who are good people and good at it. Cause most cops are good people and good at it because it is a thankless job. Yeah. The two most dangerous situations in their lives are number one, domestic violence calls and number two, traffic stops. Yeah. The cop is going to be more amped up on adrenaline stopping a motorcyclist or somebody in a tinted window vehicle because they can't see your face. They can't see your head. They can't see your eyes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so they're already going to be at heightened alert. So, you know, unless you want to get in a fight with a cop and, you know. Not a good idea. Well, you know, if you work out a lot, you very well may be able to win the fight with this cop, but you can't win the fight with his radio. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but unless you want to get in that or unless you want to cause the cop to have a worse day uh, than they have to have, you know, do your part to de-escalate things, right? right? So if you're getting pulled over on your bike, put the side stand down, turn the vehicle off, get off the bike, take your helmet off, put it on the ground, take your gloves off, and just stand there. Have your hands be visible. Let the cop control the scene. Even though you know he's going to ask for your ID and your registration and everything, don't start fucking around under the seat. Edit that out if you want. Uh, It's a podcast. Don't start messing around under the seat. Don't start playing in your wallet. Don't start patting yourself down with your jacket because... That's what people do when they're reaching for weapons. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait for the cop to come up and say, you know, to have a conversation and see, you know, that you're calm and you're not amped up on any drug. You're not not drunk because you're never going to ride under those conditions. Um, You know, and you're not being aggressive. You're not being uh, obstructionist. And they say, you know. I mean, I, I go so far, and I think I'm probably more careful than I need to be because I, I don't look like the kind of guy that's going to pull a gun and shoot a cop because I'm not. Um, but, you know, I say, yeah, you know, my, my wallet's in the inside pocket on the left side of my coat. Can I reach in and grab it? He's like, yeah. I was like, great. And I open the coat up, pull the wallet out, put it on the tank, get the stuff out, hand it to him. Right. No problem. Or her. Um, you know, just don't make their day any worse. They've already got a hard job, you know. And by the same token, don't try to be their friend. They're not there to be your friend. They're doing their job, Um, which then leads into a little bit of the lawyer opinion and advice. Okay. If you, if an officer signals you to pull over, you must. You do not have a choice, even if you don't think they have a reason to pull you over. That's number one. Okay. So even if you were right and they had no legitimate reason to pull you over, if you don't stop, now it's eluding. Okay. Number two, you must provide ID when asked, period. Operating a motor vehicle in the U.S. is a privilege, not a right. Okay. Don't listen to, and if you know anybody who spouts that sovereign citizen stuff, you do not have the right to operate a motor vehicle. It is a privilege. And with the privilege comes certain responsibilities. One of them is you must identify yourself when requested with a valid ID, right? Right. Your high school library card doesn't cut it, 
right? Okay. So you have to do that. Yeah. That's where it ends. In our system, the purpose of the police is to attempt to develop information giving them probable cause to arrest someone for a crime. That's what they're there for, right? They're not there really to figure out the truth. They're not there to have a conversation with you. You do not have to answer any questions beyond who are you, or do you own this vehicle, or if you don't, do you have permission to operate it? Okay. That's it. So a common tactic, because they're looking, you know, for all we know, maybe you got, you know, methamphetamine under the seat that you're delivering, right? And that's why you're out on the bike. We don't know, right? Sure. Um, and so they're going to walk up and frequently ask a very innocuous question. Do you know why I pulled you over? And your, your answer is going to be, yeah, I was going too fast. It no longer matters if their radar gun has ever been calibrated in its life. You just admitted that you were violating the speed. Right. Period. Yeah. Done. Right? So it is uncomfortable because they have a position of power. They have a gun on their hip. Uh, it is uncomfortable in that moment to actually say, I declined to answer your question, officer. But that is the correct answer. Okay? Um, this applies more to four-wheeled vehicles than bikes. But, hey, if you're out touring and you've got all sorts of crap on your bike, they can absolutely search your vehicle if you give them consent or they have probable cause and they can convince a judge to sign a search warrant. In every jurisdiction, there is a judge on call 24-7. If they need a search warrant at 2 a.m., you know, whoever it is on the rotation is going to get the call and a cop is going to go to their house at 2 a.m. with a search warrant for them to sign. And if if the cop's sworn statement meets the legal standard, the judge is going to sign the search warrant. Okay. Yeah. The entire time, you will stay on the side of the road with the cop. You are not free to go. So, does that mean you should let them search your vehicle? Excuse me. <coughs> My answer is no, whether you have anything in it or not. But you make a decision. If you're comfortable that you, you didn't, you know, in states where pot's not legal, you didn't forget that tiny bit of a joint from that camp out a month ago, it's absolutely not in your bags, or, you know, you don't have one tab of ecstasy or whatever it is you like to do. If you're real comfortable, then you can give permission, but know that you don't have to do that. Okay? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <coughs> pardon me again. Allergies. The next two steps up are things that are criminal. We, hit, we divide our crimes into two flavors. There are misdemeanors and there are felonies. Mm -hmm. right? The difference is a misdemeanor is punishable by up to one year in jail, no more. A felony is polish, punishable by more than one year in jail, all the way up to potentially life in prison, depending on what it is. Didn't know that was the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. Okay. <coughs> Golly, editing for you. Yeah, we'll just leave it. It's fine. Um, so with any crime, there is a mental element to it. Um, it's called, we use Latin so that you can't figure out that we're not smarter than you are. So mens rea, you know, the level of your thought, what are you thinking? Uh, and so for example, reckless driving requires being aware that you are exceeding the speed limit by a substantial amount and you're operating the vehicle in a safe, in an unsafe manner, et cetera, et cetera. It's not just you were doing 58 and a 55, right? Right. Um, at any point during a traffic stop, if the cop says, you know, I'd like you to wait here, you know, he's going to go back and run your information to make sure there are no warrants out. You have to wait for that. But once that's been done, and if you know there's no warrants out for you, and by the way, you do know that, right? Right. Right. Um, once that's done, when he brings your information back and he gives you a citation, or he says, I'm going to give you a warning this time, the answer is, thank you, officer, am I free to go? 
Right. And if yeah. the answer is yes, put your helmet on, get on the bike, and go. If the officer says no, that means you're being detained. You're not yet arrested. If you're being detained by the officer and he says you're not free to go, then you can't leave. Okay? But you absolutely need to stop talking because the officer now suspects that there is something more here than the traffic violation that they say they pulled you over for. Okay? And I gave you a link that you're going to put down in the podcast to a uh, Boston, Massachusetts law school professor who is one of the fastest talking human beings I've ever heard. He's absolutely hilarious. And the whole talk is, uh, is entitled, Don't Talk to the Police. And yep. at the end of it, he has one of his third-year law students get up who is a police detective, and he says, this detective is going to tell you if everything I've said is right. And the police detective gets up and says, everything he just told you was right. <laughs> okay. And everybody ought to watch that. Sure. Um, I, yeah, it's down in the description right now. <clears throat> this is just a, a tiny little sad anecdote, but uh, a friend of mine's um, kid was, you know, getting to the age of getting a driver's license and being more independent and stuff. And uh, we, you know, we were close enough friends that our families were all having dinner together one night. And, and I said, look, you know, I'm going to send, because I have your email address, kid, right? I'm going to send you this link. And I'm going to ask your dad to check in with you. And I need you to have watched this video in the next week kid called me two weeks ago and said something happened the police talked to me i didn't talk to them because i took your advice they arrested me that's going through the process now but you know good for the kid for listening to me so yeah make make everybody make your kid watch that video absolutely yeah i got one that probably should really really watch it yeah (laughs) that's actually it's kind of good and i was actually a little taken back by like put the kickstand down and get off like I, i would I've never been pulled over on the bike, but I, I, I would suspect that maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I would just kind of wait for him to show up. Yeah. But well, I, I would almost feel like if I put the kick sign down and got off, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him to think I'm squaring off. Oh, no. And, and yeah. you're not because that's shown by your body posture. Your hands are open. Your hands are at your side. You're standing there calmly and relaxedly. Yeah. Don't cross your arms. and yeah, start Don't start walking foot. to the patrol car. Let yeah. him control the scene. Right. Yeah. That makes or sense. Her. I keep saying him or her. Right. But... <clears throat> You know, a lot of the times, a lot of us get pulled over because, as we know, you know, pardon me, <coughs> my allergies are really bad today. Yeah. Um, our vehicles are uh, capable of, you know, levels of performance that, you know, Joe and Jane Suburbia's minivan isn't, right? Oh, yeah. You know. Absolutely. I mean, my, you know, my GS will do over 120 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. Well, no, it did on the Alboard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The Alboard is amazing. That's a great place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing to run into. Um, but <clears throat> so you can easily get into trouble um, on one of our bikes. And that's the most common reason we get to talking to them. Yeah. And so, you know, depending on what you've been doing from the moment that you realize they want to pull you over until they're safely stopped and out of their vehicle and walking towards you, sometimes that's going to be 45 seconds or a minute. You know, your heart's racing. That's going to seem like an hour for you. Yeah, absolutely. Spend the time. Turn the bike off because it means you're not going to flee. Get off the bike. It means you're not going to flee. Take the helmet off. It means you're not going to flee. And you're letting him see your face. Mm-hmm. Take your gloves off. Yeah. Just relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be as relaxed as you can, knowing that you just spent some money, and I hope it was fun enough to spend the money. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't go too fast. Yeah. That's what tracks are for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... You really just kind of hit the head yeah. there because some of the bikes are so smooth mm-hmm. that you just you don't realize. Like I know I joked around earlier, yeah, like doing fifty five, you know, and that's just kind of like a running joke within the family. You yeah, know, yeah. I never go. Uh, yeah, so I remember uh, <clears throat> riding that crotch rocket, you know, mm-hmm. when I was eighteen, nineteen, 
whatever it was. And I remember uh, coming down McLaughlin Boulevard, and it was late evening, mm-hmm. you know, like sun almost getting down. And I was yep. kind of heading home. And uh, at the time, I was riding one-handed, so I had the left hand on the hip, you know, yep. doing that old... Being cool. Whatever. Yeah, being a cool guy. Not all the gear all the time. Yep. And uh, you kind of get hypnotic. Oh, yeah. It, there's just that hypnotic noise mm-hmm. on the bike. It's just that whine and stuff. Yeah. And on the crotch rockets, I mean, the RPMs are so much higher mm-hmm. than, like, adventure bikes or Harleys or right. whatever. Right, And I just... I was coming down McLaughlin... And I just had that tone. Mm-hmm. It just sounded so good. Yeah. And I'm just by myself, not a lot of traffic out. And I looked down, it was 80 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it and it's like sitting on a couch. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually, I don't know who this police officer was. And I really owe him a lot. Yeah. Because he could have really screwed my day. Yeah. <laughs> I got on, <laughs> I got on uh, 213. Going to the Gladstone exit. And I was coming back from my sister's house. And I took that corner. <clears throat> Nobody around. Nobody around. Oh, yeah. And I just freaking hammered it. I watched that Speedo just go to 130. Yep. Wham. Went right onto the freeway, getting ready to get off. Because you don't have to change lane right, right there. Right, And I was just, man, I was 130. And I looked down, and I saw that pavement going by me. And I was like, oh, let go of the throttle a little bit. Start slowing down. I had a Clackamas County police officer come flying up next to me. And he gave me the dad finger. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nice. And he just kept going, and I took my exit, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. That just happened. Oh, yeah. That was so awesome. So if you're listening to this, right, but yep. thanks for uh, not pulling me over. Because <laughs> <laughs> I learned more from that yeah. probably than a ticket, honestly. So yeah. well, that ticket probably would have been a dollar and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Depends on when it was. But, yeah, you I mean, you – you were doing 130, you were well into the land of reckless, so that could have been, you know, something more yeah. than a violation. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But I've never been over 55, so, anyways, um, moving on, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the other things that you threw at me, so you know, uh, what to do in the case of getting bowled over, yeah. but we also have like, uh, you know, what are the in- intersections, right? And you're coming up to an intersection, what are the legalities of that? Because I'm always coming up to them, and I think a lot of people, and you can. Tell yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Right of way. Yeah. You're on my right. Mm-hmm. You have the right of way if we come up at the mm-hmm. same time together yep. or there's a yield sign yep. or whatever. So and I think a lot of people don't understand right away just means to your right. Yeah. That person has the right of way. Yep. Right? Because then you're on their left. Right. Exactly. So that's one thing I've always kind of been very aware of, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, been in a couple situations where what are you doing? Okay. Yep. Oh, right. So well, let's get into that too. Sure. Well, I mean, one thing to keep in mind, this is a motorcycle podcast, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's no car on the road that has less mass than you and the bike you're on. Right. Right. And they, of course, also have a cage, right? Um, and they can operate their vehicle 99% of the time with less than half their attention span. I mean, you've done it. I've done it. We've all done yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Most of the time it's fine. So most of them are disengaged in a way that you and I are not on our bikes. The risk to us is so much greater that, sure, I understand, but if I have the right of way, that doesn't mean I'm going to take it. It means I'm going to look at you and see if you understand the rules as well. And if I have the right to go, and you're on my left, you know, to cross my path, so you're to my left, so I clearly have the right because we got here at the same time. Yeah. 
if you're not looking at me, waiting for me to go, if you're fiddling with your dash or something, I'm going to sit there for a minute, right? And I mean, for me personally today, if I'm at a controlled intersection and my light turns green, I wait a beat. Oh, absolutely. If it's two lanes, I will often wait for the vehicle beside me in the lane to get half the vehicle out in the lane before I start moving. Mm -hmm. Always. Smart. Yeah. Um, Just always. And always look left, look right. Look left, look right, look everywhere. I mean, you know, it's like they used to say to pilots in World War I and World War II, right? Head on a swivel. Yep. You got to be looking everywhere all the time. Yep. Tell them that the linebacker forever. Yeah, exactly (laughs) right. Yep. Absolutely. So don't get smacked in an intersection by all means. Yeah. And I think that the safety aspect, you know, keeping your head on a swivel, I I think most riders, that's just kind of what we do. Right, we're always trying to be the defensive driver. Absolutely. But there's also time that offensive saves your life. Well, and that's that's the time to keep in mind that if you know how to operate the vehicle, we have better brakes than they do. Mm-hmm. We handle better than they do. Our thrust to weight ratio is unmatched by right. anything that a civilian can purchase. Yep. Right. And and there are times when the correct response to what's going on at the moment is to go from the speed limit of thirty up to fifty, and then get back down to thirty. Right. But you know. That, that can be the correct answer in, in the totality of the circumstances. And I, I would encourage a lot of people, especially those of us who don't in the Northwest necessarily have a 365-day-year riding habit. A lot of people don't ride when it's raining and cold out. Right. Um, you know, some of that time that you kind of itching to go ride, and there's lots of videos on YouTube of pretty good instruction all the way up to really good instruction. Mm-hmm. You know, there's videos of the idiots doing things, and watch that to say, oh, yeah, rem- you know, reminder, don't stand on your seat doing a wheelie on the highway. Good point. Okay, I won't do that. Um, what? Is this new? Yeah. But, you know, and, and there's a bunch <laughs> of those out there. And it's yeah. it's good to watch and really think through what could this writer have done in the moment or what did they do? What did they do well? What did they not do? Mm-hmm. You know, The what if game is really powerful right. while you're going down the road. <clears throat> what if that guy pulls out? What if this guy slams yeah. on his brakes? Yeah, yeah. See, you know, Team Oregon has uh, has evolved over the years as, as the team has learned – about what works and what doesn't, and made the program more and more and more effective. We're going to talk about Team Oregon again. Right. Uh, but back when I taught it, they gave us a really very clunky uh, acronym, but I still remember it. And it was SIPD, S-I-P-D-E, scan, scan the environment, identify potential hazards, predict what they might do, decide what you'll do if they do, and if they do it, execute. Okay. And it still runs SIPD. through my head today. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. I have to remember that one. Mm-hmm. It seems like... That's kind of the the whole what if game too. Exactly, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's super important. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know the plural of anecdote, of course, is data, right? Yeah. But you know, I was I was rolling down on a divided, um, you know, two lanes in each direction, residential street, thirty five mile an hour posted limit. Every one of the residential streets crossing it had a stop, so we were the main thoroughfare, right? I didn't mm-hmm. have to stop. I was on a Ural. Big sidecar rig. I got my big white helmet on. I got my safety yellow vest on. The pipes on that thing were louder than any damn Harley I've ever seen. I mean, I think they were probably off like a Russian tank or something, right? They (laughs) were just so loud. Right. And I'm weird looking anyway, right? It's got lights in the wrong place, and it's strange looking, and it's going down there. And the guy's not sitting in the right place because I'm off center because it's a sidecar rig. And this woman in a minivan on my right, she rolls up. She's looking left because she's wanting to go straight across my lane. She looks to the right, the other lane. It's clear. She looks left. She sees me. We make eye contact. 
I get within about a, a vehicle length and a half from her, and she just rolls on out looking at me the whole time. Right. And, and I had thought okay. to myself, she's stopped now, but is she going to stay stopped? Right. And, yeah, you know, the Ural does not have anti-lock brakes, but it does, you know, if you know how to adjust drum brakes, you can stop a Ural in a surprisingly short distance. Yeah. And so, she, the whole time, she just kept looking at me. She's like, oh, look at that. That guy stopped. Oh, my gosh. Really? I wonder how many people listening to right now are laughing about the Ural. Oh, God. Because... Uh, we went to the giant loop ride in yeah. June, yeah. right? And they were there. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Critter from Canada. Oh, you all came. Yeah. Oh. You're, uh, Critter and I, Uh huh. there's a video of us. Did you test drive one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was side cart wheelie. He was a Critter disco ball. Nice. And we uh, we did quite the uh, comedic. <laughs> I, I didn't know what the video was going to be like. And we right. came out. And he was actually staying with me at the time. And I edited this video. And I'm like is this going on yours or my channel or whatever? Yeah. He's like, dude, just drop it on yours. And it is freaking gold. It's three minutes of just comedy. It's so funny. So so my wife comes from a big family, okay. um, and her her niece was at the time four and a half years old. So family and niece come out to visit to see us, and niece really wanted to ride in the sidecar. And mom and dad apparently appropriately are like, well, we don't know about that. And I'm like, hey. Let me ride it to this big parking lot because it's the weekend. It's, you know, it's a factory parking lot. Okay. We can put her in the tub. We'll put a bicycle helmet on her. You know, I don't think she'll need that, but we'll put that on her to make you feel better and all that. And and I didn't tell them about flying the chair. Oh. <laughs> yeah, four and a half year olds don't weigh anything. Right. And she's just fearless. So I said to her, I'm like, do you want to go up in the air like you're flying an airplane? She goes, Yeah. So I'm like, okay, grab that bar because it's got a grab bar for the passenger. Yep. I'm like, you have to hold on to that. And she's like, okay. And we come back around and I roosted the chair. So I'm doing a 45 degree angle. We're heading toward them. And her mother, who's just a wonderful woman, screams, my child. <laughs> and we go by and she goes, hi, mom. <laughs> oh, dude. Awesome. Oh, it was great. It was great. Oh, yeah. I wish we had video of that. That would be amazing. If it see. exists, it will not be on your podcast. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> it could be on your channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be hilarious. Yeah, that was super fun. Oh, yeah. There, I remember uh, Critter, we were just kind of going. He's like, I can't shift this thing. Yeah. He's trying to shift. It's just got to shift him like a tra- tractor. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's how it was. Mm-hmm. That is freaking hilarious. So I think one of the main things that my uh, that Papa Cakes wants to know. Yeah. Lane splitting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I've been all over the country. Yep. And I've seen it done really well. Yep. And I've seen it like, what are you doing? Yep. One of the craziest ones I've ever seen were uh, the Mongols MC Club yeah. going by in a giant group and just flying down, you know, construction traffic. Scared the holy hell out of me when they came by me, but I didn't hear them until it was just this massive, loud rumble next to my window. Yeah, well, loud pipes only save lives behind you. Yeah. I was like, holy Christ, that just happened. So I know I might be wrong on this, but from what I've understood is lane splitting was going to be passed. Yep. And then the former governor said, nope. Correct. And then I don't know where it stands now. So Uh, It has been passed again. It was Senate Bill 422, which is lane filtering, which is a little bit different than lane splitting. 
Okay. Um, the lane filtering bill, and, and I'm going to confess, we're going to have to put in the show notes whether the governor signed it. I don't remember. I'm bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, the lane filtering bill would allow us to filter to the front of a lane as it stops so that we're at the front because thrust to weight ratio, we're going to go away and get out of traffic faster. Okay. Um, so that means stoplights? Exactly. Stoplights, uh, you know, anytime the traffic is going to come to a stop, we can filter to the front of that traffic so that we can go away faster. Okay. Construction, um, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I, I will tell you now, it's still going to be a number of years before I'm going to start doing that because we need to change the mindset because yeah. still a lot of people view traffic. If you if you watch the people we way people drive, especially folks who have a little bit of road rage going on, it seems that a lot of people view driving as a zero-sum game. If you get there before me, then I'm somehow losing. Right, yeah. And, you know, and then there's already antipathy toward motorcycles in part because of the idiots doing the crazy things that we see in the videos. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Um, so it's going to be a while before I'm going to be willing to do that uh, on any of my bikes because I worry about the person just moving the vehicle a little bit. Oh, I didn't see him. Clonk. We actually recently did that. Yeah. Um, we were coming back from a trip from mm -hmm. Canada. And uh, it was myself, Papa Cakes, and Seanathan, uh, my buddy Sean. And we were kind of coming up, and we were on the comms, and we were talking about um, – there were several sections on this road of construction. Yeah. And we were talking about it on the one before, and then I think we decided there wasn't enough room mm -hmm. to safely do it. So we didn't. We just sat in line. Yeah. But the next one that we came out to, we actually did it to the right. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty large bike path that yeah. we were on. Yeah. And I don't even think it was a bike path, but it was wide. Yeah, the shoulder. Yeah. yeah I mean, we were, we, you could have went two bikes wide, sure. easy down there. Not allowed to ride on the shoulder. I didn't hear that. So, yeah, we cruised around and just got up the front. Yeah. And it was actually pretty nice, but. Yeah. I, I went to one round of the MotoGP races at uh, Laguna Seca years ago, and. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was in California, and lane splitting just it was absolutely amazing down there. It's just yeah. incredible. Well, I think it goes to what you were saying. I think the the culture here in Oregon, maybe Washington, you know, yeah. we're not around it. Exactly. So we don't understand it. But if you go down into mm -hmm. California, L.A., yeah. especially, like I, I know recently on I-10, oh, yeah. it, it's like if you have the dotted line and you're in the mm -hmm. two lanes – the traffic actually sees motorcycles coming. And they move out of our yeah. way. And they I split it. and they make it wide. And yeah. then they come back together. Exactly. I you was know? down there last year and it was just brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of the guys riding are mm -hmm. like hooligans. They're just, yeah. they're riding faster than traffic. Yeah. But not at an unsafe, crazy speed. Right. You know. Yeah. And it's very, it's in the culture yeah. that this happens. Well, and generally in most places where lane splitting is legal, there are speed requirements. You know, right. you can't lane split if the cars are moving faster than 30, and you can't go more than 10 miles an hour faster than the cars. Yeah. So, you know, if they're doing 50, you can't lane split, right? Right. Legally. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Why would you want to at that speed? Well, I mean, I, I, I've been seeing an increased frequency of folks doing it in Oregon, and I just, I worry so much because the drivers aren't expecting it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It goes back to the same thing you were just saying. You're going to wait a while. Yeah. The culture has to change. That's it has right. to be taught. Yeah. You know, like, hey, this is now available. And I think, you know, um, you know, driver's ed, it's got to exactly. start tickling it, you know, yeah. stuff. And it has to be, I think, if they're going to allow it, 
they got to invest money into it. We need yep. to see it on the commercials. We need to hear exactly. it on the radio. We need to yep. see it in advertisement on the billboards. Right. Yeah. Don't don't be mad at the motorcyclist. If you let us get to the front of the line, we get out of your way faster. There's less traffic in front of you. Yeah, hundred percent. So we're still not sure if it's legal yet, though. I'm sorry. I should have known that. Oh, it's all right, man. We can find out. You know, yeah. I do a little recon on the on that. All if right. It's well, good or not. <clears throat> uh, it it looks to me like he's looking it up right hey, now on his laptop. I'm checking the Google. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, okay. It looks like it is going to be legal, uh, which is again going to be lane filtering, which is not lane splitting. Right. Right. Different different thing. Lane splitting is absolutely not legal in Oregon right now. Right. Um, and if I'm wrong, you're going to put it in the comments, and everybody can comment to you and tell you I was stupid. So that's fine. Yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't bother to look that up. I was focused on other legal stuff to prepare for tonight. So Yeah, yeah, dude, no worries. I think uh, filtering and yeah. splitting, I think just touching on that and knowing what the difference is yeah. is actually a, a pretty big thing. Yeah. You know, especially coming up to stoplights. Right. Sometimes you're just like, can I just be up there, please? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, a lot of this started in California back when all bikes were air-cooled, and it kind of, you know, it mattered a little more. But, right, yeah. you know, I've got a couple of air-cooled bikes, and, you know, I'd prefer to keep air moving over them. You know, it's not going to damage the engine to idle for three minutes, but yeah. it's going to make me sweaty. I've got an air-cooled rider. Yeah, there you go. It'll, That's it, right. It My air conditioning air only works when yeah. I'm moving. Yeah. Yeah. I like to have that air flowing through, yep. right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's kind of cool. So... I guess helmet legalities. Yeah, you know, I know uh, bouncing around state to state to state, it yeah. always is crazy mm-hmm. when you're in Utah, Idaho, you yeah. know, name whatever. Yeah, right? Illinois, Florida, yeah, Texas, a lot of states. Yeah, yeah. there there are no states helmet where law. helmets are not legal yeah. or are not required for adults. Um, I don't know if there's any states that allow. 16 to 18 year olds with permits to or with licenses to ride without helmets. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. See, I never even thought about that. Yeah. 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 A lot of states have kid bicycle helmet rules, too. Yeah. Um, Oregon's one of them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in the U.S., um, your helmet simply has to meet the federal standard that allows it to have a DOT sticker, mm-hmm. uh, which means a lot of what, you know, what look like salad bowls on people's heads are probably actually legally helmets. Yeah. They may not do what you and I would want them to do in a crash, but... You know, if all you care about is meeting the letter of the law, that, that'll do it. Now, if you buy one of those at a flea market and they give you the DOT sticker for you to put on later, that is a novelty helmet. That is not a legal helmet. Okay. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. And a lot of guys don't, don't even care. Right. And a lot of people, you know, are willing to take that risk. You know? Right, yeah. I can't even imagine. Nope. You know? I, uh, years, when I was in law school, I went out with some buddies to the Alvord Desert, the first time I'd ever been out there. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this will be really interesting. I'm just going to go ride around without my helmet on. And I got up to about 20 miles an hour. I came back to camp, and I'm like, I can't do it. i got to put my helmet on. Yeah. So if you don't know, in Oregon, there is uh, the Alberta Desert. Yep. It's an old playa. It's a... Yep, 12 miles long and up yep. to three miles wide. There's a hot spring at the north end of it, right yeah. beside the Steens Mountains. It's one of the most beautiful places in the state. Absolutely. Yeah. You can go out and just let loose a little bit. Yeah, the des- desert itself is uh, federal land, I think, but it is open to the public. Yep. Uh, the hot spring is now publicly owned, so you do have to pay to get in there, but he has some very rudimentary cabins if you don't want to camp um, up there, but otherwise you can camp on the playa. And, mm-hmm. you know, at 12 miles long, there there's not a bike on the planet that can't reach its maximum speed in 12 miles if that's what you want to try out. Yeah. Yeah. Let her fly. Have fun. It is awesome. 
just prepared if uh, it starts raining. You might want to get off the desert because you may not make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first, yeah, the first time I went out there in 2020 with somebody, there was the playa hadn't fully dried, and uh, and no. so they were like, "Well, it doesn't look that wet," and I'm like, "Don't ride out there." No. It hadn't looked like, yeah. So then we ended up having to go get some sticks to drive sticks into the mud to stop the wheels of the bike so we could stand it up because we were just pushing it around in the mud. Oh no! Because we couldn't stand the bike up. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. So if you're out there, white is good. Yeah, white is good. Brown anything is bad. Anything non-white is <laughs> yeah. bad. Exactly. Yeah, turn around mm-hmm. because you know, I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, that it rains or whatever, and yeah. it kind of filters down to like mm-hmm. the north end. You yeah. know, it seems to always be wet down there. And it was kind of funny. I, I took a, a group of uh, veterans with that flag right there. Yeah, the veterans back forty. Yep. And uh, it was myself and a few other people, and it was part of the giant loop. But we kind of led the ride and we took them down to the Alvord. Yeah. And so we all went to fields first, of course, mm-hmm. for milkshakes and burgers. Right, right. That's what you do. Yep. And fuel. And uh, it's always really funny to see somebody go out on the Alvord for the mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. You got off and I was trying to do some filming, so yeah. I wanted to be first out there and then I wanted to turn and see these guys come out, and, you know. And it's like they've never been there. So a lot of the guys would get onto the Alvord mm-hmm. and then just be like, I'm here. What's going to happen? And then they have to figure out that it's super hard. It's almost Mm -hmm. like pavement. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, where they? Oh, they're way over there now. (laughs) They're just gone. Yeah. You know, it's super fun to watch people out there for the first time. Yeah. You know, I I love it out in southeastern Oregon. You have to again head on a swivel. Oh yeah. Because you got guys just flying in every direction too. Sometimes when you get along, we were out there for the. we weren't there for this event, but a few years ago we camped out on the Alvord, yep. and it's when Moscow Moto was out there with the uh, the Unrally. Yep. And man, there was a bunch of bikes out there, yeah. and I was just like, okay, let's, we didn't even know what that was at the right. time. We're just like, what's this chair? A bunch of really fast lunatics. Yes, <laughs> a lot of really fast lunatics that can freaking ride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. And I saw some wheelies for like days. I'm like, mm-hmm. jeebus. All right. It's a beautiful place. So if you're out on, if you're doing the Oregon BDR, yeah, go there first. Yep. Like before you start it, mm-hmm. go to the Alvord, camp yep. out. Yep. Fields is right down the street. Just yeah. start from Fields, you'll yeah. be good to go. If it's mid season, go on up to the top of Steens. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That place is like the hidden gem. Like I don't even want to talk about it. It's so amazing. <laughs> no, it sucks. No one should go there. Yeah, it is absolutely terrible. Right. It should. It just don't yeah, even think about. You get it. to the top, and it's just a Walmart parking lot with RVs. Oh, hundred percent. In all honesty, it's one of the most beautiful places, beautiful yeah. things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's just amazing up there. And then you get the history behind it, and mm-hmm. you realize. Just the way the glaciers cut. Oh my gosh! Yeah, just like wow, this is amazing up here. And it's actually the highest road in Oregon. I did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. It gets up to what, like ninety three hundred mm-hmm. foot, something yeah. like that. So yeah, it's the highest road in Oregon. Wow, cool. The more you know. Yeah. See, riding with my dad, it's kind of like that, right. right? So you know, he's seventy four now, and we're always in the comps. And I always joke around with him mm-hmm. because things come out of left field. You'd just be screaming down some road or something, you know, and it's just like, you see that cutout over there? <laughs> yeah, on the hillside? Yeah. That's the Oregon Trail, and this is what happened right there, and this is, I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> this is awesome. You know, That's little, cool, dude. Little yeah. nuggets of joy, right? Nice. That is freaking awesome. So, yeah, um, Alvord, definitely go to, and then, you know, 
that other place, the Stains. Yeah. Yeah. So you said something about the BDR. Have you done the Oregon BDR yet? No. No. I, I actually went to the launch, uh, the video launch uh, in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, we had plans to go this year, and then a combination of my brother-in-law that I do a bunch of writing with got a great opportunity to lateral to a new company in his field. Nice. You know, and so that, you know, borked all of his PTO, and he really needed to put his nose down and get in well. So that kind of got shelved, and then I just had a series of, you know, lucky for me, very interesting from a lawyer's point of view cases that ended up just going to trial back to back to back to back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, Busy. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, great. I got to help a bunch of people. I got to have a lot of fun and, you know, all that. So, no, I've I've ridden less off-road this year than I have in any of the past five, and that was just, you know, things happen. Life happens sometimes. So I know we're talking about law. Yeah. And we still have yeah. more well, things to hit more up. stuff, yeah. But at what point in your riding career mm-hmm. were you like, I want to go off-road? I want to start doing more. Maybe it wasn't adventure riding, but... For so. me, it was like riding some Harleys, right? Mm-hmm. I did that for a minute. Yeah. But it was going down roads going like... Where does that go? Yeah, exactly. Where does that go? Where does this go? Where does that go? So I, I will never pretend to be particularly smart. Um, so it was early in the season, maybe mid to late March, maybe early April in like 98 or so or 99. Okay. Um, and I was on a BMW R100 GS Perry Dakar uh, up on some fire roads and things like that in Mount Hood. And I came around a corner going, you know, at a nice speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was an eight-foot-tall snowbank in front of me. And I stuck the bike into the snowbank. And the cylinders are right out there. Yeah, the headers and the cylinders are hissing and steaming. And I could yeah. actually get off the bike. And I'm like, Huh. That was probably not the best idea. And now I've got a five and a half foot wide piece of road to take this 6,000 foot long bike and turn it around and go back down. Um, So I've been riding off-road to one extent or another for a long time. I never did any competitive off-road riding. Motocross riding never just did it for me. Um, But, you know, I've I've enjoyed that. So I've done the Washington BDR in part. Um, The year that we did it, there were some fires. So there was a big closure that we had to ride around. So we missed a bit. So we'll go back and do that. And my brother-in-law right now and I are putting together a, an enclosed cargo trailer as sort of an RV toy hauler conversion thing because uh, I just – we don't want to spend what you have to pay to buy one of those. Right, yeah. And then you end up with something with such the low-quality construction. Like a cargo trailer is a good frame to start with, yep. right? Uh, with the idea that, you know, we can hook it up to a truck and drive to Colorado, switching off and get there in a day and a half – and be fresh enough to start riding the next day, as opposed to if we ride the bikes, we just, you know, we can't string together three weeks off together these days. Yeah, right? that's tough. Right. And so this, we're going to do that. And that's the plan for next year, starting next year to do that. That's cool. Yeah. So you got, you did the wobber, kind yep. of. Yeah. yeah. Did the fun parts. Yeah. Yeah. So what what's your plans for next year, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, so next year is uh, Oregon BDR for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, a uh, couple of rally schools, Jimmy Lewis, um, Rally Pan America, if they offer their school again. I don't know if they're going to. Um, Skylar House is talking about offering a school again, and if he does, I'll try to take that uh, with the idea that in uh, October I'm going to go do the Baja Rally. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Heck, yeah. Yeah. So we got some friends of mine. They're from uh, Canadian land up there, yep. Scott and Steph. 
They're the uh, the Adventure Cooperative mm. on YouTube and the Instagrams. Cool. So go check them out. Yeah. Um, they actually do bus life, right? Mm-hmm. So Scott is an amazing rider, and he's an amazing mechanic. And so they kind of had this mobile mechanic up there around Victoria and on yep. the island. And then uh, I don't know how long they're going for, mm-hmm. but they're taking one of the buses back down to Baja. Oh, nice. And they're just going to spend, I don't know, however long right. down there. I want to say two months, but I don't know if I'm speaking out of my butt or not about that. But they're going to go down there. They're actually going to come stay here for a couple of days on their way down there. Cool. Um, but, yeah, that's one of the things they do is they have a video on the Baja. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure which one it was. I know there's multiple races down there. Yeah. But there's a video that they have where uh, the guys that they're kind of – I don't know if they're supporting them or they mm-hmm. just met them or whatever. But his bike breaks down, and Scott's like, all right, move. Yep. Let's doot, go. Doot, doot. Yeah. yeah. Pulls it apart and has another bike. It's a cool video for yeah. sure. I'll, if I remember, I'll put that link down here in the yeah. description on the well, YouTubes. If you're listening to this on Spotify – yeah, go to YouTube. Yeah, go to YouTube and watch it. Yeah, but the you know the Baja Rally for people that think they want to do it, which is where I am. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but they they're really good for beginners. You know, they have some sort of training and instruction at the beginning, and it's a lower stress rally than immediately jumping into Sonora or some of the bigger rallies. Yeah. So we'll see. It seems would, like fun. I would love to do that too. Yeah. After freaking Lulu. I yeah. don't think my Africa Twin's a good bike for that, though. It's not a good bike for that. No. <laughs> have to get something a little smaller. Yeah. I've got a I got a 450 Thumper, so I'm ready to go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah dude, that is, that's awesome. Yeah. So you got the, going down to Mexico. Yep. You've got the... Oregon BDR. Oregon BDR. Yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, the plan of the moment is um, both of our wives ride. They don't, they don't want to do adventure riding. They want to do road riding, which is totally great. But they can uh, drive. So he and his wife have a... Sprinter van converted to an RV. Cool. He's really yeah. good at that. Um, the Sprinter can tow the trailer, and then they can meet us each day uh, at the end of the BDR, so we can do it as a group vacation. So you got a little bit of a support vehicle. Yeah, you know. It's kind of cool. Yeah, meet them there, and then yeah. it's not just, hey, honey, I'll be home in a week, right? You know, we're right. actually out together. Take a day off in the middle of it. Go to a, you know, go to a lake and just camp for a day and hang out and have fun. And you Oh, know, yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Totally. Yeah, I'm going to be curious to see your take on that, too. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have done the Oregon BDR. Yeah. And there's so like, many opinions on it. I've ridden so many of those roads. When we were yeah. watching it, we, yeah. we were sitting there in the theater in the, I think it's the Aladdin Theater in Portland where they yep. showed it wherever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just sitting there and we're like, oh, yeah, you remember that? You remember, yeah, you remember that? We had lunch right there, you know, blah, blah, blah. So yep. it'll be fun to see how they strung together roads that we've been taking just as individual, you know, rides. So let's go out and ride that road. Right. How many and times have you... Been on been a pass, right? Yeah, and of it's course. Just like that's obviously a big part of it. Yeah, you know, you're riding around on Lolly Lake. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, yeah. All, all these are on there. Exactly. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious to know because you know, uh, Dork in the Road, Ben and yep. then Travis, you yep. know, their buddies, and it's their take is a little bit different than other people that I know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the opinions of sections are polar opposites. Yeah. You know, like I've heard section one and two are brutal, and the rest is easy. You get in, like, I think Section 5, and they're like, oh, there's sand. Yeah. Then I've heard people saying Section 5 is the worst, and 1 and 2 are no big deal. Right. Yeah, it's just... Well, now, a lot of it depends upon your experience, right? On the experience, and maybe the bike that you're on, too. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, my, my GS in the sand is just going to be a long day. That's yeah. just the wrong bike for that. Oh, 100%. 100%. But I like to pretend that the uh, the ADAT is yep. a 250. Yeah. I'll ride it like that, whatever. Yeah. 
I'm just I'm just going to cheat and ride my rally bike. <laughs> <laughs> that's not cheating. Yeah, that's being smart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's pretty cool. Sounds like you got some rad riding. Yeah, coming up ahead of you, yeah. and especially vacations with the girls. Yep, I mean that exactly. always makes it yeah. a little bit better. Yeah, I mean I never like being like, oh honey, I'm going to go have fun for a week. See ya. You know, right. that's just, you know, that's not right. No, no. I always felt, uh, you know, you get out there for like a week or 10 mm-hmm. days or something, and mm-hmm. at some point you you get that morning of like, oh, I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Why exactly I, right. Yeah, geez, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Or you get that text, you know. I'm a Zolio guy, so right. I get the text on Zolio, and it's like, the dogs did this or the kids did that right. when they were still young or whatever, and you're mm-hmm. like, sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I gotta go. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I deal with it, I guess. Totally. I don't know. So, are you a Garmin guy? Are you a Zolio guy? Do you have any of the the satellite comms on person um, with you? I have a uh, a Spot X, the emergency com. Okay. Right. So that's not an not an an all time. I mean, you can do BlackBerry style text messages on it, but you know that's it. But it's. You know, it, it's got the big red, I really fucked up button, which is what I care about, right? <laughs> That's what most people do, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. And it's, you know, you can just turn the subscription on whenever you're going to use it. So it doesn't right. cost much to have the service. There's mm-hmm. no annual plan. Um, you know, the GS, I, not knowing any better, bought the BMW Navigator, which is kind of a crippled Garmin unit. Uh-huh. I didn't, didn't know that. Um, it's, you know, it's fine for what it does. But I now you just use one of our cast-off iPhones. Uh, as a navigation device on the GS when I'm on it. And then um, on the rally bike so far, I haven't figured out what I'm going to put on because that's that's based in part upon what the rallies are going to want to see on the bike. Yeah. Um, but I've got, you know, I've got a road book holder. I've got a couple of ICOs on it. So I can, I've got all of that. So. It sounds like the bike's set up. Yeah. It's ready to go. It always, you know, if you go back to like the Zolios and the, um, the Enreach. Yep. It's, I always cringe when I see people mount them to their bike. I'm like because they don't like the vibration, do they? Well, no. It's I feel like if you're going to have an SOS system, mm-hmm. it needs to be on person. Right. That's where mine lives. Very obvious. Yeah. Your bike goes left, you go right. You're going to be broken, maybe. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to go up the ravine or yeah, whatever. Just put it right, right. there. Yeah. I don't know. I see that from time to time. Mm-hmm. My the guy I ride with a lot, neighbor Dave, he did that for a little bit, and I was like, dude, why are you? Right. And in fact, that's how I got the Zolio because <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, Garmin or the Zolio. Which one do I want? Right. Right. So we're actually on the old Oregon BDR, like the Route Four. Oh, the one that the the couple put together. Some. Yeah, yeah. The where you have to buy the paper maps. Yes. 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 Yeah, so I got all those. So we were doing, you know, Route Four. Right. So we started in Sisters and yep. it went to Seneca. And we're just, we're ripping down there. And I come up alongside of him. And, um, you know, riding with my dad, he's slower than uh, some of the other guys. So some of the other guys we ride with, we just, we take off. And then it's like, oh, dad's not on comms anymore. We need to stop and wait. Yeah. All right. So wait for him to catch up. And we're having one of those moments. And I look over and I'm like, eh, how do you like the Zolio, bro? <laughs> you know? And he's like, I effing love it. That was my recon. On. There you go. That was all it took. That was literally my recon to buy that. Cool. No internet searches, no nothing. I went, well, I guess Zolio has one and Garmin has one. I don't know which one I'm going to buy. Cool. <laughs> oh, the things we do, right? I think yeah. I had one within a week. Nice. Went home, Amazon, it's here. Right. So um, 
lane splitting we talked about, what yep. not to do. Yeah. And one of the things that you really have left here is uh, what insurance matters the most. It's a big deal for us. All right. So. so here's the breakdown of the terminology and what it means and what I strongly think people ought to consider. Okay. Um, in almost every state in the union, I'm only hedging because it's not like I surveyed all 50 states, but every state I know about. Operators or motor vehicles are required to carry some minimum limits of liability insurance, right? Right. In Oregon, it's 25,000 bodily injury per collision up to a max of 50,000. This is the minimum. Uh, and 12,000, if I'm right, of property damage. Don't quote me on that. It might be 10. Um, liability insurance steps in to A, hire a lawyer if you get sued for causing damage or injury in a collision. And then to pay up to the limits of your insurance if the court finds that you are the cause of the broken fender, the broken leg, the whatever it is. Okay. So that's your liability insurance. That protects you, right? Mm -hmm. So as a rule, you want to consider having pretty high liability insurance on large vehicles, right? You drive, you know, a big, heavy SUV with a lot of mass then you're going to want to have some higher limits simply because you've got more accident-producing potential without actually trying to do anything crazy. Right. right. Um, I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to tell you why you want really high liability limits on your bike, too. Allergies again. <coughs> so liability limits and almost all the other limits we talk about for bodily injury are divided into two numbers. In liability, 2550. What that, what that means is Suppose you injure two people on your motorcycle. You hit two pedestrians. Okay, you were being bad, whatever. Your insurance will pay up to $25,000 per person up to a combined max of $50,000. So if you hit three people, they'll only pay fifty, which means you've only got eighteen point three per person, if I'm doing the math right. Um, same thing with property damage. Um, ride your bike into somebody's front yard and hit their house and break the window, blah, blah, blah. Your insurance will only pay up to the property damage limit. So, you know, you decide based upon where you ride and how you ride and how carefully you ride, et cetera, what you need above the minimum, right? But that's the least important insurance for us because it's pretty hard to cause huge amounts of injury and property damage with a light vehicle like ours compared to others. Now, that changes with property damage a little bit because a lot of the modern EVs are almost non-repairable. You know, the Teslas have a unified body that once that thing gets tweaked, they kind of have to throw the Tesla away. So you can cause what looks like a fender bender and cause 50 grand in damage pretty quickly. Okay. Like a lot of the yeah. Rivian, the Rivian trucks out there, right? their body work is stupid expensive. So think about that. Um, but then there are <clears throat> other flavors. On your four-wheeled vehicles, you're required to carry what's called PIP, personal injury protection. That's no-fault coverage of medical and lost wages up to $10,000. It's the minimum. You can't buy less in Oregon. It is not mandatory for motorcycles. Most motorcycle policies do not offer PIP. So on your in your car, <coughs> my apologies again, in your car, if you just lose your attention for a moment and you hit a guardrail and... You know, you do two grand of damage to the car. It's Pip's not going to cover that, but in the process, you get a concussion, and you got you know five grand of medical bills. If you even if you have no health insurance, Pip will cover that, even if it was your fault. If a rock falls down the hill and it's nobody's fault, Pip will cover the medical up to your Pip limit. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's for you and your passengers. Then the insurance that we really care about 
underinsured motorist coverage. We call that UIM. And uninsured motorist coverage, we call that UM. We often describe them together as UM, UIM. Okay. This is insurance you pay your insurance company for where they will pay the damage caused to you by an uninsured or uninsured motorist as if they were that motorist's carrier. Because, well, newsflash, scumbags who are going to drive around without plates in an unregistered vehicle without insurance are not going to spend their own money to buy insurance policies to protect the people they hurt. Because they're already making bad choices, right? Right, of course. So if you have, let's say, UIM of 100300 and an uninsured driver hits you and causes you 50000 bucks, excuse me, of damages, and they don't have any insurance. Yes, you can get a money judgment against Joe the meth head for $50,000. Then you can garnish Joe's weekly wage. Good luck. Right. You can attach it as a lien to Joe's home. Well, he doesn't own a home. Good luck. You can attach it as a lien to any personal property Joe owns. He owns nothing of value. So you have a worthless judgment against Joe. But if you have 100000 of UMUIM, your insurance company will say, okay, you know, we, we believe and we've negotiated with you and your lawyer and we've agreed that Joe ought to pay you fifty grand because that's what this injury would ultimately work out to in court. We will pay on Joe's behalf to you, our insured. This is the insurance you buy to protect yourself from irresponsible people. Okay. Okay. Have you ever seen, as a truck driver, irresponsible driving on the road? Oh, never. Right. <laughs> there are irresponsible people every day. You see them. You're on the road with them every day. The guy who's on his text message, the girl who's doing her makeup, the people who are just chatting away, not watching the road, whatever it is, you see it every day. Yeah. You pay money for insurance to insure yourself against those people. We on motorcycles, this is the most important insurance that we need to buy. Okay. You normally cannot buy UM, UIM in an amount higher than your liability limit, which is why I said you don't really need giant liability limits, but you're going to want to pay for them. Um, every carrier is going to have a limit of the UM, UIM they will offer. Many carriers, it's 300 per person, up to 500000 per incident. So you and a passenger could have 300 each up to a combined max of 500 if you were hurt by an uninsured or underinsured driver. So some kid in college who has the minimum, 25000 for each of you up to a max of fifty, causes a combined 400000 of injury, whatever it is. And we'll talk about the damages in a sec. Their insurer is going to give each of you twenty five grand. So now we've got three hundred and fifty of unpaid. Your insurance of three hundred five hundred will kick in and pay the other three fifty to make the two of you whole. Okay. Right. Now, you're insured, yeah, yeah, may go after the college kid and get a judgment and chase the kid for 20 years, but you won't have to. Right. Okay. Um, but you got to have liability limits at least equal to the UMUIM limits you want. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, the holy grail for us is umbrella insurance. And umbrella is an insurance policy that says we'll cover anything that any other policy you already have covers, but we will only step in and cover above a limit. So often you'll have an umbrella that kicks in at 500,000, but it'll give you coverage up to 5 million. If the umbrella covers UM, UIM, not all do, then by buying that umbrella, you effectively have $5 million of protection from uninsured motorist damage. Huh. Umbrellas are cheap. They're really cheap. Uh, like my umbrella right now is 110 bucks a year for a million bucks worth of coverage. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Skip, no brainer. Skip twenty lattes a year. Right. Um, and whoa, you'll whoa, be there. whoa, <laughs> whoa, GS writer. <laughs> Hold on here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have the RFID in my GS. I don't even have to put my phone up. It just it just pays as I roll up to the drive through on my GS and put it in my cup holder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but umbrella that stacks—that's what we call it. Stacking with UM UIM is okay. the holy grail for you. That's what you want. Um, property damage. Let's talk about your beloved bike that you've had twenty years that you're never going to get rid of. Okay. Property damage. First of all, if your bike is financed. You, the finance agreement requires you to carry comprehensive and collision, and those are two types of property damage coverage. Comprehensive coverage pays to fix up your vehicle or replace it if it's destroyed without regard to fault. Okay. So your comprehensive coverage will pay if you drive the bike into a brick wall and total it. It will pay if your neighbor's kid backs over your bike parked on the street. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me. I did that backwards. That's collision. My apologies. Okay. Collision comprehensive is anything that happens to the vehicle that isn't a moving vehicle collision. So the tree falls on your boat, bike. That's collision. Okay. That's comprehensive. comprehensive. I always say yeah. these backwards. Comprehensive. Make me sound smarter when you edit that. Um, comprehensive is it ain't moving and it got squashed. Okay. Collision is it got squashed and we don't care why. Something was moving and it got squashed. The bike was moving, another car drove into it, whatever it is. <clears throat> Those are pretty expensive coverages. And most people drop them as soon as they pay the vehicle off. Um, it's going to be hard to get that kind of coverage for an older or vintage bike. I have a couple of really old vintage bikes that I love. And you got to go to the specialty insurance market for those. Um, like uh, Hager is, is an insurer that insures those. Um, they will also insure your armored personnel carrier, by the way, in case you need that. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, there's a couple others out there. But that that's an esoteric story, but comprehensive and collision will pay up to the limit, which is usually the purchase value of the bike while it's insured. And it's surprising how quickly insurers will want to total bikes. Cause I mean, call up the Honda dealership and be like, Oh, I need, you know, all of the front fairing parts for my Africa twin. Oh, yeah. They're going to tell you it's like nine grand. <coughs> um, so, uh, bikes can get total when they're still actual functional running bikes. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've I might have crashed a time or twelve. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that stuff's expensive. Yeah, it's not cheap. Right. Um, but if you have your old vintage bike that you really want to keep and it gets squashed, you know, somebody backs into it in a parking lot or whatever. Yeah. Um, once the repair is going to equal or exceed eighty percent of the value of the vehicle once repaired, the insurance will want to call it an economic total which means it is repairable, it can be made safe to operate, but it isn't cost-effective to do it. Right. You then, if you really don't want to lose that bike, you know, it was dad's bike and I'm going to keep it in the family, whatever, right? You can then say to the insurer, okay, fine. What salvage value do you place on my bike? And that's basically what they would get for selling it as scrap metal. So let's say the, um, you know, the insured value of the bike is 5000 bucks, mm-hmm. and the salvage value is 300 If you say to them, fine, give me a check for 4700 bucks and let me keep the bike, they'll say, okay, but you have to surrender the title, and it comes back as a branded salvage title. Right, right? okay, yeah. But if you're just going to keep the bike for yourself, you know. Doesn't I, matter. Yeah, I like old BMW Airheads. I know a lot of Airheads have done that. 
Um, they've got the bike. It's perfectly safe to ride. They'll never be able to sell it for anything, what they've got into it, but that's not the point. Right. Um, yeah. You can absolutely do that. Yeah. It's one of those things. Sorry, right, you can kick yeah. me. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very interesting thing, too, you know. Um, I think as motorcycle guys, it's very easy to overlook yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah. and especially, like, the umbrella. So now I'm thinking, like, hey, man, I better – Better shoot my guy an email in the morning. Nice guy. <laughs> nice house we're sitting in here. You ought to have an umbrella. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, just kind of trying to put that all together. <laughs> that was a lot know? of data, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then just... Uh, you can also declare the value of, in, of accessories installed on the bike. Right. If you do all the upgrades that a lot of people do, as long as you tell your insurer, look, you know, I put the whiz bang shock absorbers on it and the upgraded light kits and the blah 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 all that stuff you can get that included in the property damage declaration for the bike yeah is that anything that you have to yeah as you're doing it say hey i did this last week no just do it before the bike gets squashed yeah you know it doesn't you you can put it on last year and tell them today they'll start covering it today they won't cover it last year right but they don't care when you put it on okay yeah yeah, Yeah. even stuff like that's really good to know right yeah absolutely so what uh, any any es- apparently the beer's kicking in. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> any interesting like uh, motorcycle cases or anything you've heard about or you want to talk about? Mm. Nah. I mean, they they pretty much all involve riders getting dismembered or killed. So no. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. It's good. not fun stuff. No, I think you know, uh, I have one. Okay. I dun, 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 dun. neighbor of a friend of my, ours. As far as I know, doesn't ride anymore. I've never seen a bike or anything. But I was up at a party at my friend's house, and the neighbor was there because the, the friend's neighborly. And and friend was like, oh, hey, you know, Brooks rides too. You know, meet my friend. Name that Brooks isn't going to say. Right. And the guy's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. Oh. And so he has to tell me the story. So he was on his crotch rocket. You know, Blastotron 6000. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Blastotron 6000. Right. Yes. But he said he was riding on a US-30 heading toward uh, Soviet Island okay. at night. And he was. He said he was doing like a buck 40. And he gets up to the Soviet Island light because he's going to go do a lap around Soviet before he goes home. And the light is red. So he slows down and stops. Cop comes screaming up, screeches to a halt gets out and they give him the felony stop guns drawn lay on the ground the whole thing and he complies well they did that because they thought it was felony attempting to elude police because they turned their lights on eight minutes ago oh no but they couldn't catch him they couldn't catch him uh which you know digression there in a second um and he gave what i is the only possible defense I could see to felony eluding when the cops were like, why didn't you stop? He said, I was going so fast, I didn't care what was behind me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that's, that's about as good as you could have done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a legend in my family, mm-hmm. something kind of like that. So my, my grandfather was a huge motorcycle guy, rode all the time. And he, he used to tell me when I was a little kid riding – He'd be like, when you get ready to ride on the road, you get on that freeway, you get all the way in that left lane, and you go like hell. Oh, right? okay. okay. Okay, Grandpa. Yeah. You know, double it and add five going around corners. Yeah, right? yep, yep. Okay, so that's, that, right. that, that's my grandfather. Well, back about the time, you know, the radar guns yep. were coming out, they're pretty new, <laughs> right? So 
the legend goes, right? He gets pulled over and gets a pretty hefty speeding ticket. Yeah. He's like, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to court. So he's standing in front of the judge, and the judge says, hey, how do you plead? He says, not guilty. And he says, well, we have you right here on radar. Yeah. And he goes, I understand that. I was going a lot faster than what your radar gun says. And he goes, well, how fast were you going? A lot faster than your radar gun. And for whatever reason, the legend says. Yeah. He the judge said, well, the gun's miscalibrated. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. No. No. I was going faster than your gun, which means whatever the gun says, you were doing more than that, so I'll just write you for one over. But it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a good story. It is. You know, that was something that I was told Yeah, growing up. You it's know? a family legend. It's Like I said, it was the legend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's good to have you out here because I'm like, <laughs> I think it's real. No. I don't know. No. Yeah. Sorry. Does that sound like it, huh? No. That's perfect. No, I accept that. Pro- problem with, you know, those stories and, and the Hollywoodization of our profession is... Mm-hmm. What we do is just not that, in, it's important, but watching us do it is not that intrinsically interesting 99% of the time. Yeah. I mean, even when I'm actually in court doing the courtroom stuff, most of that is really boring. If you're just there watching and you don't already know everything that's going on, there's just no, there's, you gotta, you gotta have table pounding and shouting and we just don't do that. <laughs> it's not the Harry Bosch books I read. No. What? No. Come on now. I know. I mean, they're great stories, you know. Um. But no, I mean, I, when, I, when I was in law school, um, we have to take a year-long course on the law of evidence because it's like what evidence can be brought into court and what can't and why and what are the rules because it's complicated enough, it takes a year. Um, and the TV procedural law and order that's still going on mm-hmm. was in some of its early seasons. Like none of the cast members that were on there then are still on it now. And I was learning evidence at the time. And every now and then I would watch that and over and over every week, they were accurately portraying some aspect of the law of evidence. They were citing real Supreme Court cases accurately to the point wow. that I was like, I'm going to make it a point to watch Law and Order and take notes like I'm in class and then go back and look at my books. And I swear a fair fraction of the grade I got in the evidence courses from watching Law and Order because they were, back then it was real. <laughs> That's cool. It was the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that. oh my God, that's true. Yeah. Look in the book. That's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Get learn while watching the boob tube, right? Totally, it was awesome. That's pretty cool. Oh, and the other thing, if you want to, if you want to know what real tricks in trial are that actually can work and actually meet the rules, yeah, everything that Joe Pesci does in the courtroom and my cousin Vinny is allowable by the rules. Really? Yep. <laughs> I've done things like that, not as flamboyantly, not as interestingly, but things like a lot of what he's done, I've done in cases. No kidding. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. I wonder how many people are now going to go watch that movie. Mm. You got to go watch it. It's a great. It is a yeah. great lawyer movie. I can't remember the last time I saw it. It was a oh yeah, long time ago. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you know he's great. And I think it was Joe Machio, the the kid who was in Happy Days. I think anyway, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the kids that got arrested, and then you know his fiance girlfriend Marissa Tomei, and Fred Gwynn is the judge, and yeah, it was great. But I remember when I was a kid, she was so hot. Yeah. <laughs> still. Why is. do you say was? I know, still there. Right, right, come on. Absolutely. So through your writing career. Yeah. What, 30 years yeah. plus, whatever, yeah. you know, uh, what have been some of the highlights, you know? So y- you've gone from road. Yep. You've gone, you know, to, to more of the adventure. Yeah. You know, and yeah. probably like a lot of adventure guys, there's still a lot of road riding. Oh, yeah. You know, I think Absolutely. for me, it's like when I leave here, there's a lot of road mm-hmm. to get wherever. But I try to get off 
fast. I try to get off on gravel yeah. as fast as I can. It's just that's my preferred means of travel when I'm on oh. the bike. Yeah. But you know, for me, I think adventure riding is is those unexpected moments, mm-hmm. right? Where you're just on this road or trail or whatever and you come up to a vista and you're just like, Yeah. Where did this come from? You know. So well, I mean you you can have fun road riding. I mean last oh, yeah. year uh, my brother-in-law that I do a lot of riding with, we've got family all over the, the West. Um, and we just put together a long trip, and it was 100% road. I don't think we ever even went on gravel for this road. But we rode um, some amazing, you know, state highways in California and, you know, way up in the mountains and just yeah. beautiful stuff. Rode through Mammoth and um, Highway to the Stars or Road of the Stars or something like that. He knows the name of it. I don't remember it, but it was just freaking beautiful, um, just all over the place out there, and it was just wonderful. And then ended up having to just to get from one family to the other family. We had to get from Vegas from L.A. to Vegas. Yeah. Um, so we just had to cross the Mojave at a, an average 110 ambient. Just ugh, dude. That's brutal. It was just a slog. Yeah. I mean, I was seeing temps because it's a BMW GS. Of course it has a temperature gauge in the <laughs> instrument cluster. I was seeing digital temps that I only see in stop and go traffic. I was like, oh, come on, honey. I'll change your coolant if you make it. <laughs> Let's just keep going. Let's go. Yeah. yeah those are some legit <clears throat> temperatures. Yeah. And that's when you start thinking about, you know, hydration mm-hmm. and why am I seeing two? You know? Oh, no. Yeah. We, we were, st- we were doing, basically it was two water stops for every gas stop. When we were at half a tank, we would stop and not bother with gas right then uh, and just each, you know, suck down about half a gallon of water. Um, wow. And that, that whole yeah. day we got there, and we, we each drank, I think, three-quarters of a gallon of water when we got to the family in Vegas, and it was four hours before I had to pee. Oh, jeez. Oh, it was awful. That's bad dehydration yeah. right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I and know. even though we were just sucking down water, but you know how fast you dehydrate on a bike. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it gets into that thing, too. I think a lot of people get hot, and they want to open up all their vents. Yeah. And that hot water is just, or the hot wind is just taking that right off of you. So. Sweat's good sometimes. Well, there's a BMW guy. I don't know where he's, he's got a wonderful accent. Maybe he's from Finland or something. And it just, I didn't, I don't know his, maybe he's Greek, whatever. But he founded a company called LD, long distance, LD Comfort. And he makes clothing that has the super moisture wicking stuff in it, like you see with like the ShamWow and all that. Right. Where and it's a, it's a long sleeve zip up, you know, sort of turtleneck thing, mm-hmm. um, and and long johns effectively, and you soak them all in the water. And then his point is, leave the ankles of your gear open, open your cuffs and open your neck, and you have air continuously passing through. I mean, I. Huh. Yeah, I was at the BMW rally in Montana whenever that was, and that was when we had that heat dome here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was wearing his gear coming back, yeah, and it was I was seeing temps of over 115 on some of the billboards riding back, and if you'd said to me, what does it feel like to you, I'd say 70. No that kidding. Fine. Yeah. I would, huh. People thought I was nuts because I'd stop for gas, and I'd go buy like two quarts of water, and I'd drink about half of one quart, and the other one I'd just open my jacket and pour it down, Pour it down each of my arms, pull my pants out, pour it down my pants, get on the bike and go. It was great. LD Comfort, it's, that stuff's just magic. I am going to have to check that out. Totally. Again, check the description. There yeah. might be a link. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was just, he gave a whole seminar on, you know, this is how you do it and this, don't do, don't open your jacket, right? right. Yeah. You know, have a couple of points of entry and a couple of points of exit for the air to force airflow through your gear, you know, and, and the, 
sort of holy grail for that is a one piece like an arrow stitch. Right. Which is just fantastic in the heat. Huh. Believe it or not. Yeah. I am so going to go check that stuff out. Totally. Totally cool. I don't mind riding in the heat. No. No. There was one time I was down around Zion. Yeah. It was like 104. But yep. I had multiple days of warm weather. Yeah. And I kind of hit my limit there. Like, I remember I got down to Zion, and I was by myself, and I went inside the lodge, and I just sat on this little brick thing for, like, an yeah. hour. Right. It was nice and air-conditioned in there. And it was one of those things, too. I got caught behind a tour bus. Oh, so when you're in yeah. Zion, and you got to go through that little tunnel, mm-hmm. and they just stopped us there, and I was next to these rocks. I could just feel everything radiating out of me. I was like, oh, my gosh, this sucks. Yeah. One of the worst times to go to a place like that. I was just oh, like, I know. I'm checking out. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. No, when we get stuck in traffic, you know, you get stuck by the behind the line of like fifth wheels coming home for the weekend or something, yeah. and they're going as fast as they can go, but it's just awful. Yeah. It is. And then they start rolling coal. It's like, yeah. that's nice. Thanks, bud. Yeah. That's one of the reasons, too. Like, I try to do a huge part of my travel just gravel. You know, gravel travel's the way to go. Agree. But, again, you know, my dad and I, we went to Moab, and it's from here. It's about 1,200 miles yeah. from my garage to Moab. And we added easy 400, 450 miles last time we went down there. Just all road, just, oh, let's go here, go here, yeah. go there, go here, yep. whatever. That's just the best way to go. Yeah. So, man. Well, I think we got, uh, oh, yeah, two hours and 16 minutes in right meow. Cool. So I think that's pretty good, man. Awesome. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about? You have any socials? You have any business cards you want to throw out? <laughs> uh, no. All of our work is actually referral from other lawyers. We yeah. we are so specialized that most folks who need us won't be able to articulate that we are what they need because it's so esoteric. They'll go to the lawyer that did mom's divorce or the lawyer that you know wrote my will, and you know here's what's going on with the family trust, blah blah blah. And that lawyer will say, yeah, call, you know, Brooks's firm. Okay. Yeah. So you got you and a partner. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yep. Cooper Whitman. Cooper Whitman, huh? Yep. Out of your house. <laughs> Out of our houses. Exactly right. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. Yep. You know, something to be said about working at home. Yeah. He's he's a good lawyer, but he doesn't ride, so, you know, alas. What? I know. You actually allowed that? Yeah. <sighs> Man. All right. Well, we got to get him going on something. I know. Yeah. One of those deals. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put him on my superbike, and I was just like, I just sit on it. And he's like, this is terrifying. <laughs> superbike, what do you got? Oh, uh, so I, I'm probably done road racing, but for a while I raced an R6. No kidding. Yeah. Totally skipped right over that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we thought we were done. Let's get into that for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I started racing with Omra, oh boy, and... Uh, 2012-ish range. I started on a 400cc lightweight superbike, um, and then I've now got a 600 that I normally would race at a 450 as a what we call a triple cripple, where you just pop one of the plugs, I mean, you pop the igniter out, so only three of the cylinders fire. Yeah, it's actually not that bad for the bike, and it's you know, but I don't I don't have 600ccs of talent, uh, but I you know <laughs> I've been off it for a term. Yeah. I've been off it for a couple of years, so I need to go back through novice school, which we do, which is great. It, it's like BRT for racing, actually. Omer does a really good novice school. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I, I love it, and that's a great community, and it's fun. But it's the fun-to-expense-to-risk ratio for that isn't quite there for me at this point in the way that, that I think Rally Raid will be. 
So we'll see with that. But, you know, I, I came in fourth in a race once. It was very exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I can say that more than half of my races, I was not lapped before the end of the race. So that was really good. <laughs> uh, but it was, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, man. And, the, and I mean, that leads into, for people who don't want to make the commitment to race, track days. Yeah. You, I mean, not that you're necessarily going to want to. You can ride your Africa Twin on a track day. We'll let you. You know, Too Fast does them. Motocorsa does them. Omra does them. A couple other organizations do them. You know, you got to have appropriate safety gear, but you can wear two-piece. It doesn't have to be single-piece leather. Yeah. Bike has to be mechanically sound. Put tape on your headlight. Not a big deal, but you don't have to, uh, like, safety wire anything. You know, it has to be liquid tight, of course. Uh, but, you know, you can bring anything out there. I mean, I, I was out a number of years ago just breaking in a new engine and stuff, and there was legit a dude out there on one of the old um, naked bike gold wings just having fun, and he was just honking it. Man, it was cool. amazing. Yeah, it was a big freaking bike, but he'd lean it into the corners, and yeah, he was having fun. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, uh, an FJ09 for a while. There you go. And, that uh, would work. I actually got not my proudest moment, but still one of the coolest riding experiences that I got mm-hmm. is, um, I forget the name, the actual number of the highway, but when you're in Oregon... And you're going past like Sheer Falls mm-hmm. and stuff. Now past what is that Thai Valley down there? Yep. You go up this canyon, and it's just super twisty, super twisty, and then it loops around, super twisty. Going up there, they were paving it, and so I was at the bottom of the canyon, and I stopped. I was the only guy sitting there and just having conversation with the the guy on you know holding the flag road crew, yeah, yeah. And he was smiling at me, and I'm like, what's this guy smiling about? What is going on? And we kind of, some friendly chatter. And he said, so you're about to go. We, it's paved. Okay. All the way to the top. And the the crew is actually working beyond the last corner on the very top. And that's where the next beer, uh, the next flagger is. Okay. You have fresh swept asphalt. Uh, You'll be uh, the uh, only uh, one on the road. Wink, wink. Yeah, wink, wink. Oh, my. Uh, that's what I said. And oh. I rode so hard up that thing, so fast. On an FJ that has the uh, the back pegs on it, mm-hmm. going around and scraping pegs. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, yes. Yep. And in one corner, I'm pushing the counter steering as hard as I can. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make this corner. I Obviously, I did. Right. And I was just like, oh, man. Yeah. So those RPMs were screaming mm-hmm. when I got to the top of it. The other flagger up top, who had to be watching, mm-hmm. and heard the whole thing was just ear to ear. <laughs> I just went by him, gave him like the devil horns. I was like, "That was awesome, nice." I almost turned back around. Yeah, I'll do that again. One more but time. I was like, "Don't push your luck, kid." Oh, <laughs> my wife and I went to a vacation on Maui long before it had burned. Sorry for everybody there. Yeah, um, and we were driving up the volcano. And that is a, it's a twisty road like that. Oh, that's a great road up there. Yeah. And there's clearly a community of very good riders who wear proper gear on well-set-up bikes who do that on weekends for fun. Yep. And so we were in, you know, a Toyota Corolla rental or something, right? And we're driving along, and I can hear them coming. And, you know, I can, I can see far enough back that as soon as the first one was going to come around the corner behind us, I just pulled as far off the road as I could, and they're all just going by, giving me the, you know, the yeah. aloha, and I'm like, oh, I know what you're doing. Yeah, It was going, just man. great, yep. 
That's was, awesome. Yeah, watching that, I'm like, oh, can I borrow your bike? I know. <laughs> so the last time I went up there, it mm-hmm. was probably um, a little earlier, and it wasn't the best weather conditions. Yeah. You know? Actually, we rode out of the clouds, and it was actually pretty cool when we <clears> were up there. But I, I was thinking on my way up there, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. This would be awesome on a bike. Mm-hmm. You know, you come out of the trees, and you're just like, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. This right here. Yeah. Man, then this place had to burn. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. We were just there, I don't know, two years ago or something. Such a great place. So what would be, I ask this to everybody. Yeah. What's your ultimate ride? What is like, you can get away from work as long as you want. Finances don't matter. Whatever bike you want to take, anywhere in the world, what would be the absolute dream ride that you would want to go on? Uh, well, I would like to go solo, Portland, Prudhoe Bay, uh, and then Ushuaia. And be done. Why do you have to take my dream trip? <laughs> Can't you have your own? <laughs> Same thing. Like, yeah. like me, I think South America, going down to Ushuaia is a hundred percent the, the end all be all. Yep. The Prudhoe Bay down. So there's parts of that I think would be amazing. But then there's parts that I've heard about, and I know somebody that's done it, and yeah. he and I had a conversation here downstairs not too long ago. So, Alex, what's up, bro? Um, and he's been all over, like I like 59 or 69 countries, whatever it is. He's been all over the world riding. And um, listening to him, not on a podcast, not on a videos, but just like sitting at my table talking to him. Mm-hmm. It was just it, I felt a different level you know, of conversation. And it was just, it was really cool hearing some of these experiences that he had, but there's parts of Central America. I'm just kind of like, eh. Yeah. And then the Darien Gap. Yeah. I guess it's super expensive to get around that. Yeah. And one of the things that he said, super cheap to go to Canada because you can ship your bike with gasoline in it mm-hmm. and then ship it down to Ecuador or Colombia or whatever, or not, uh, Peru or whatever you want to start, right? Yep. So just ship your bike down there and then just ride. Yeah. I was like, I'm down. Mm-hmm. Let's go. He yeah. grew up El Paso, I think. Mm-hmm. So he would just go ride out down there and stuff. And I'm just like, dude, that's my dream. Going down to Ushuaia would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. There's other parts too I think would be kind of fun. I, I, being here, Prudhoe Bay is like so reachable. Oh, I know. For us, it's just right there. Yeah. You know, you just need what three weeks to do it, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I uh, had a guy on the podcast yesterday, um, Brady Allen. He goes by Meerkat on all the socials, and uh, he just did um, the Tuck Project again with the Veterans Back Forty guys, and they took guys, and it was to bring awareness for veteran suicide. Mm. So they actually took off out of Astoria, and they, I'm going to totally, totally brutal this name, but it's Tuck, I believe. It's also, it's kind of the Canadian Prudhoe Bay, if you will. Okay. Right? Right on the Arctic Ocean. So they rode up there, and apparently the road, only like in the last five years, actually got up there, paved or whatever. So they don't have a lot of tourism up there, so they're kind of getting new to it. So here comes all these, like, vets get up to the Arctic Ocean, swimming, you know, and stuff. So I think that was pretty cool. But they did it in, I don't know, I think two and a half weeks or something like that. Yeah. 
it's reachable for most folks. It's, you know, it's, it's a big chunk of time away from whatever you do for a living, but right. it's, it's more doable than it is to go to Ushuaia. A hundred percent. Yeah. But man, Ushuaia. I know. Let's mm-hmm. go. Yeah. I saw something on uh, the old Instagrams last week. It was just this amazing city. I don't even know what it was. I was too dumbfounded looking at the pictures, but it's somewhere in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I reposted it. I'm like, all right, who's going with me? Moto trip. <laughs> and that page with like a zillion people, they like reposted it too. And there was like, I guess we're getting motorcycles. And I was like, <laughs> God, I wish. That'd be great. Oh my gosh, let's go. So much I want to do, you know? Yeah. You know, work and adulting. Yeah. So dumb. So, well, probably a good time to call her quits here. Cool. Unless there's something else that I don't know about you like racing. (laughs) (laughs) No? No, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Like, reaching out and... uh, yeah, I'm just I'm tickled pink, and I I think all this stuff that we went through is actually very knowledgeable. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really want to reach with this podcast, right? I I want to learn things, and I want to bring education to other people, interesting people like yourself to come on and yeah. just have something to bring to the table rather than I ride motorcycles, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Which there's a lot of that out there, yeah. too, right? So yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, and and. You know, very seriously, I'm I'm super big on making sure people understand what the insurance is and what they need, because that's so critical. If you know the bad happens and you're not able to avoid the minivan or whatever, and yeah. you know you you got to have wage replacements, you got to get the medical bills taken care of, all that stuff. Um, if people you know send you comments and it sounds like there was some confusion about stuff, I'm happy to either write something for your blog or you know come back and answer a few questions if that ever pops up. Well, I was going to talk to you about this off air. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's kind of a good segue. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have an idea yeah. that I would really like to do. I would like to have you and Pat come on yeah. together. Yeah. And I would like to go live. Sure. And I would like to set it up. And then I think it would just be great because we can have our moderator come in. Yeah. You know, and he, we can sit back, you know, over there and let him do his thing. I actually have three moderators that would work. And um, we can get questions live yeah I'm happy to do that answer stuff and just set up you know like an hour two hours or whatever yeah. and just do it on a friday night or whatever and you bet just, i think that'd be awesome happy to do it all right man cool well you'll be back friends here we go all right thanks again brother you bet <laughs>